Cleveland! Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, we are here to rock and roll! Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Dub Talk Band! We have traveled the world over, and we have come here to rock your world! With the power of anime dubbing. Yes, this is the premier anime podcast, where people get together to talk about the latest and greatest of English dubs. And for this particular one here, we are going all the way back to the year 2005 for one of the most legendary rocking dubs of all time! Before I do that, I want to welcome the supporting band! Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for our drummer, Andrew! What up? I'm shirtless, my stomach feels like garbage, and I'm ready to fucking go! Also, I have a mullet! You are- he does, he does have a mighty mullet. Alright, and then moving on over to our bass guitar, please put your hands together for the bearded connoisseur himself, Amandul! Hello, Cincinnati! What? what? Uh, uh, Cleveland! Hello, Boo. Cleveland! Get off the st- No! No! None of that! There are more than one cities in Ohio! Actually, the second one is, in, is uh, the one with all the theme parks in it, but we won't talk about that one. I thought we was in Colorado! Put down the weed until after the show. This is why we keep confiscating your bong, because you do this, and then you say things on mic to the audience. What? Oh. And welcoming to the stage our very special performer, who is a brand newbie to the stage. We just plucked him right out of the crowd, but he's just got the brass balls and the chutzpah to be a part of the group. Ladies and gentlemen, making his dub talk premiere, please welcome Jackson! Woo! Oh right, shit, I have a microphone now. I can yell at you directly instead of through the magic of editing. <laughs> oh god! Oh no, he has a microphone! You literally now. have a microphone! That was your mistake. Oh no. But yes, I'm here to provide my expertise on this show as someone who watched it as a teenager. And uh, I am the band leader, Noah Clue. And tell me, Jackson, what is this show that we have decided to subject ourselves to? to I say subject to. I mean, like, revisit and revitalize for a group of people who may not have heard of it before. Mongolian Chopstwad. Or, if you're OG, Beck. Uh, uh, let's see, I liked Beck before they were Mongolian Chop Squad. Alright, hipster. <laughs> gonna, gonna, oh, you're, gonna, you're gonna go tell us what the best reviewed album on Pitchfork is this month? Would, hang on, would you be a hipster or would you be a Beckster? That was awful, and I'm cutting that out of the audio. Thank you, Andrew. Oh, fuck, Bob, you fucking <laughs> pompous piece of ass. No, this is a, this is a really special episode, and I'm, I got a lot to say about this. I know all these guys do, too, but this is actually a, a very special classics episode, uh, not just because uh, we got to introduce two of the guys here to the show for the first time, which was awesome, but also we want to give a huge shout-out to the director of the show, the original director, Osama Kobayashi, who unfortunately passed away from cancer just uh, earlier this year, back in April, and that was the entire impetus for doing this episode was because he he was a very amazingly unique director in the anime sphere, and we really wanted to cover uh, one of his only two solo-directed series, the other being Paradise Kiss, and that is what we are here for tonight. Yeah, this episode's quite overdue, even, even by those uh, circumstances. Mm. So, Jackson, you were saying that you had um, watched this back in uh, uh, back when your younger days. Uh, can, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with the show? Yeah, uh, 
Like, I would use the word formative. Uh, I forget if this was back before the uh, Deep Two Brigades, but uh, I will say rewatching this show without the much music watermark in the corner is un- is a bit unusual. Need a disclaimer at the bottom for those who aren't Canadian and don't know what much music is. Uh, it is essentially uh, the MTV of the North, right? So you'd have a bunch of music-related programs. It'd be tastemakers of the era uh and this stuff actually premiered on tv in canada first before uh making its way to dvds or the dvds hit shelves right wow uh yeah it was a nice like uh mini marathon back in march of 2007 of the first uh five episodes did they i have to assume that with the uh, fair warning there's going to be swearing in this episode that they had to censor part of uh, the dialogue for this show yeah wow there's a i'll i'll say this going into this i figured there'd be a little swearing i did not anticipate as many f-bombs as we got the language on this is varied and colorful and i really like it oh so colorful it, it's the joy of the mid-2000s anime dub. No one thought it was going to be on anything with a censor board, so they didn't have to. <laughs> Pretty much. So I should probably tell everyone what this uh, show is about, uh, first and foremost, because if you haven't heard of Beck before, you should absolutely go check it out. It's been readily available for a while now. You can actually get it for dirt cheap, so hopefully we will convince a few more people to watch this. But uh, Beck Mongolian Chop Squad is about a loser, about a little loser named Koyuki. Because Koyuki is a middle schooler who has no friends, no ambitions in life, and is just kind of coasting through middle school. But that all changes one day when he runs across this bad boy Japanese-American guitar player who lives next to a watering hole named Ryusuke. And Ryusuke introduces Koyuki into the world of real rock and roll. Yes, he brings color and meaning into Koyuki's life. And uh, through circumstances involving a lot of oddballs, mobsters and Frankenstein dogs, Koyuki not only learns to master the guitar, but also becomes part of the brand new band that Ryusuke puts together called Beck. And that is the adventure of a lifetime. It sounds kind of basic. It sounds like, well, what's so great about it? But let me tell you, it is the most indie film-ish anime that we will probably ever cover on this podcast, and I love it for it. I I, want to at least introduce this one, because I remember thinking about it when I was watching this. In the anime world, there is a sort of subgenre. A subgenre that is called Slice of Life. And prior to recording this, we actually were having a discussion about this. Slice of Life anime aren't actually Slice of Life. Amon, what what was the exact term you described slice of life anime? You mean you mean you mean what what people call slice of life anime and what versus what it actually is? Yes, yes. Uh, as Mike Tool is very fond of pointing out, most of what call, gets called slice of life anime are just sitcoms. They are very much. They are they are situational yeah. comedies. Very much mm-hmm. so. Yeah, it's not a lot's happening, but there's also kind of goofy shenanigans and sort of silly setups, character development, and just like good vibes too but they are very much like situational comedies and like you said a lot of feel good brains off kind of entertainment yeah if you take an example like lucky start that has more in common with like seinfeld than it does this show (laughs) i remember i remember somebody oh god i remember who it was it was fucking hardy hardy said that frazier was a four coma manga and 
He's not wrong. He's not. It's not a wrong statement. It's not a wrong statement, but it still upsets me for multiple reasons. But back to my original point. <laughs> this series, what Beck Mongolian Chop Squad is, for the most part, this is an actual slice of life series. Because this is just some kids hanging out, living life, kind of sailing by while also trying to live their dreams and make it big and become something bigger than they were meant to be. Like, I think the entirety of the show takes place over the course of, like, two two to three years. I, I, yeah, I was they, tracking it. There's at least four summers that go through. Really? So, but they, okay. th- There's a long time scale on this show from, like, second year of middle school to second year of high school. Yeah, it's weird because, like, you think, like, none of the characters age exactly because it's not like their character designs change. But the show will have, like, several episodes that are just, like, uh, a couple of days in a row. And then huge time skips that, that cover, yeah, like, whole summers or whole semesters. And then it's like, oh, by the way, we're in the middle of high school Like, now. it's very subtle, but it's just, like, yeah, this is, like, years go by in this. That, that's one of the big reasons to talk about it. The other big thing is the fact that there is a lot of music in this show. And, y- y- okay, dubbed singing is something that's really, really hard to do properly. And it probably has a, a reasonably good bad reputation because it's not usually done as well. Just because the Japanese music industry will usually pump a lot of money and talent into when they dub something in English dubbing, especially back in mid two thousands, English dubbing, you had a you had equally talented people, but you had a smaller pool of people. You had shorter timetables to work with. You just had to uh, try as best you could to match that. You level. also apparently wouldn't always get like the right materials because. I think I saw recently that the fucking famous uh, Smile Bomb opening, they didn't actually get the M&E track. They had a fucking karaoke track they used. I'm glad you brought that up, and I will talk about the uh, the music director behind the Yu Yu Hakusho opening uh, in a bit here, because yes, they had to redo the instrumentation for that, and they had to do the re-instrumentation for this show too. That is why they put a lot of passion into this, and that's why I brought Amandul along, because... We needed a music expert to talk about this show. And if you need if you need someone to talk at great length about music, I'm your guy. See, I'm no. I'm not surprised that I haven't watched Beck yet up until this point because I am still a little That's babby true, yeah. child in some regards. I've seen a lot of anime, but there's a number of them I have totally missed the mark on. I'm more shocked yes. That Amon here has not watched this yet either. We were all baffled. We were we were in chat, and I was asking people, who would like to be on this episode? I need one person who's seen it and two others who haven't. Jackson jumped in right away. He's like, this show is formative for me. I'd love to do this. Andrew was like, I guess I'll do it as well. And I'm in the back of my mind like, well, I can't ask Amon because he's clearly seen this already. Right, Amon? Uh, I haven't. I watched an episode of this in college with a friend, and then never watched it anymore. And then we all immediately looked and at each other. Lost their collective brains. I, I will. I will point out. I will point out. I am very into music. This also means that I spend a lot more time listening to music than watching things about music. <laughs> my my Citizen Steely Dan box set and the nine King Crimson <laughs> box sets I own are not going to listen to themselves. Touche. So that's a good excuse. That's a good excuse. I don't feel that that's justifiable, but I'm glad that we finally got you around to watching this. I I can understand your reasoning. Like, there's not a lot of music biopics that you need to go out and watch, right? 
I mean, you are we, well, well, what, what, are we are we talking in general or good? I mean, so if in general, you should watch more music biopics because you never know when you're gonna meet a little star that just randomly gets dragged onto the stage by a bald guy with sunglasses who's a punk motherfucker who sets guitars on fire. Who sets guitars on fire? I really want to talk about this show, actually. There's there's a lot to go into. <laughs> there is, and uh, guys, this is going to be a long one. So everyone who's listening to this, get oh, your popcorn boy. and your cocaine ready, because we're going to be here for a while. So Actually, no, 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 no. <laughs> don't, don't tell our viewers and listeners to fucking snort cocaine, motherfucker. They can eat. To my fellow Canadians, <laughs> not, you know what to do. Not tell that them, kind of snow. Not that kind tell of them snow. Tell them to... Tell them to fucking smoke pot or get the pot brownies like the normal people. Shit. But there's a disclaimer at the beginning for a reason. I'm not. Yes, but you're not gonna encourage people to fucking take illegal drugs, motherfucker. That's a good point. That's a good. Point. We we need to make an addendum to the disclaimer that we do not encourage crimes. We we don't. We, we legitimately don't. Don't don't do illegal drugs. Don't become a gangster. Don't shoot people in their guitars. Don't do any of that. What you should. What do. kind of rock? What kind of rock and roll attitude is this? See, that's Honestly, my I'm disappointed. Speaking. <laughs> what you should do is you should be awesome, like the. Staff members who put this whole thing together. <laughs> Let's talk about this. So Beck Good segue. Beck is an interesting creation in that it is a ton of work to turn into an English adaptation. And that is why there is not one, but two ADR directors on this show. One of them is, or was rather, a Texas regular, because this was dubbed at Funimation, and that was Chris Bevins. However, because he knew that this was going to be a huge undertaking, he actually called in an out-of-town talent. And he pulled in an L.A. director, Taliesin Jaffe. And the two of them worked on this together. I do believe that's Taliesin Jaffe. Is it Jaffe? Okay. I... It's Jaffe, yeah. I... yeah. All right, thank you. Taliesin Jaffe and Chris Bevins directed this, helped in their endeavor by the head writer, who was John Bergmeier. And John uh, worked as well with a couple of script writers. Those would be Mike McFarland, Sean Michael Tega, and Spencer Prokop. Now, I'm going to cover uh, Chris and everyone's credits here really quickly. Chris Bevins, he's been an ADR director for quite a while. He's done Michiko and Hachin. He directed Princess Jellyfish. And something more recent you may have seen is the Mr. Asamatsu dub. Now, Taliesin Jaffe, I pronounced that correctly there, uh, it's done a lot of work in the L.A. scene about 10 or so years ago. So if you saw some classic dubs like Helsing, Reader Die TV, or that classic of anime perfection, Amazing Nurse Nanako, you've probably seen his work before. You would know him these days for being on Critical Role. That is also true. You'd, you would know him by his incredible hair. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Look at that picture. It's amazing. Look at that picture on screen, people. Isn't that amazing? I'll say. So, John Berkmeyer is our head writer. Uh, you've heard him in uh, do a lot of head writing. Like, half of its credits is just the head writing. Uh, stuff like Assassination Classroom, Nanbaka, or to tie it into another music related show, he was the head writer on Love Live Sunshine. I think specifically he is like the head write, was like the head writer for Funimation for many years. He, he's credited on, as head writer as like almost everything Funimation has put out right uh, definitely up to the like he still did stuff into the simul dubbing days uh they just expanded it out a little bit more to include more people but yeah in that really mostly focused on home video releasing time period you could pretty much guarantee seeing his name attached to something that was written he's one of the people that at funimation where his name is basically attached to pretty much every single release 
almost as synonymous as Mike McFarland, who I'm not even going to list all the things that Mike has written before. He's just written a lot. Uh, one example, just one thing that a lot of people, I assume, listening to this have heard of before. He wrote the script for One Punch Man. He also did Megalobox. He did a lot. He did a lot, Andrew. If He's I sit done a lot. Here, if I sit here and list credits all day, we will never, ever end. His reputation right. precedes him. Yes, it does. Uh, maybe not so uh, reputable is actually Sean, uh, who's done some writing in the past. Like, uh, if you listen to the old Negima dub, he was the writer on that. And you may not have also heard of Spencer Prokop, but I have to give him a shout-out because he wrote one of my favorite comedy dubs of all time. He was the scriptwriter on Kodacha, and I am mm-hmm. so glad that Discotape is finally re-releasing that. Thank the anime licensing gods. But we also have to give a shout-out to, because this is such a music-heavy show, we have to give a shout-out to two other individuals who were instrumental in making the music happen on this. The first ah. one... but um, That legitimately was not intentional. I wasn't going for a pun there. <laughs> that makes it even better. <laughs> All right, that's instrumental was our music arranger. Uh, and that would be one Carl Finch, who you may have heard in, uh, you may have heard before, but you've definitely heard his music before. Uh, probably most prominently for Funimation, he re-recorded the music and helped with the instrumentation for the Fruits Basket opening and ending that was redone in English. And he did the Yu Yu Hakusho opening and endings, all of them. Smile Bomb, all the wow. ending songs, Sayonara Bye Bye, all the really great kick-ass ones that are Honestly, as good, if not slightly better than the Japanese. Nice. And, that, and that's why he has a Grammy and we don't. <laughs> Sorry, he has two Grammys. Good for him. <sighs> Life goals. For his polka band. You're kidding. All right, Carl. You know what Carl Finch does in his day job? I, I Please tell me know. what Carl Finch does. He, he he's the leader. He is a... Hold on. Let me. I, I pulled up the Wikipedia page so I can wow you with my, my knowledge. Uh, he is the leader wow. of a band called Brave Combo, who are based in Dallas. Of course. Um, they do. They mostly do polka, but they also do just kind of like lots of sort of, uh, sort of world music, sort of dance styles, etc. Um, they've won two Grammys for Best Polka Album, mm-hmm. and I mostly know him because some at some point in the 90s, he did a, a sort of accordion-heavy rearrangement of a old, kind of hokey Christmas song called Must Be Santa. Uh, and I don't know this because he did it, I know this because someone gave this to Bob Dylan for his Sirius XM radio show he had in the 2000s, so when Bob Dylan recorded his <laughs> Christmas album... He did a cover of that song using that arrangement. And you know what? Wow. It's pretty great. <laughs> the idea of... It's pretty great. The sound, Just the words. Bob Dylan covers famous Christmas polka band song is just too amazing. Ahmad, I'm so glad we have you here tonight. Aren't you, aren't you glad you invited me? <laughs> oh, so happy. Yeah. Okay. Oh. And to, yes, to round this out. So we got... Grammy Award-winning Carl Finch, who did the who did all the music on this. Like like I was saying earlier, they didn't just use the the music beds from the Japanese. They re-recorded the instrumentations for all of the songs that you hear in this show. But they had to also sing new lyrics as well. And that's where we get Mike McFarland. As he stated in the episode twenty-four commentary, he was the ADR music director supervisor. Make people sing, er, rewriter, lyric, er, guy for this show. 
and that's a very big mouthful of a title. Uh, but he's done that is his full title, and you will respect it. That I will. Um, and he's done this a couple times before. Like he's done some music on uh, usually some older things. Um, it's like back in the mid two thousands, Funimation really liked redoing the English. Or I'm sorry, redoing the openings and endings with English singers. Uh, they did this for shows like Peach Girl and Suzuka, where Mike got to rewrite the theme lyrics for those. I've listened to the Peach Girl songs. I think you could stick to the Japanese on that one. Uh, but, he, <laughs> but he also, uh, let's see, he was also a music director for uh, Sasami Magical Girls Club. So, uh, again, just he's done some music stuff before, but it really shines in this show. In fact, let's go ahead and let's just start with the music discussion. Like, we'll get to the actual, like, the dialogue and everything soon. But let's just talk about how good the music is. Aman, is this music Grammy-worthy or not? Yes. All right, that's the end of that. So, moving on to... <laughs> uh, no, the music in the show is fantastic. Um, uh, I think, as we mentioned, um, Carl, you know, Carl Finch was sort of the guy they tapped to do a lot of the recording on sort of the music side of this, and uh, obviously he he knows how to turn in the good stuff. Uh, and you can definitely hear it in here. Like a lot, for, for one, like a lot of this just sounds like really professional, really well put together. If I didn't know that these were all new, like backing tracks i would not have guessed mm -hmm. um so you know if nothing else that helps like these sound like real bands which you know for especially for this show that's important um and you know also it helps that uh you know as, as you I, I don't think they i think they mentioned this on the commentary track that's on like episode three but they made a very concise point of like okay if we're casting you in the show you will need to sing yeah if your character sings and the, obviously it helps that, like, a lot of the talent pool, like, has singing experience in some capacity. Um, but they clearly made their point of, like, okay, who's going to actually be able to sing these songs convincingly? Mm -hmm. Who, who uh, sounds well singing together? Right? Exactly. Uh, mm -hmm. Which is con yes, which... It's commendable because um, in the Japanese, uh, the uh, speaking seiyus were actually different from the singing seiyus. They had, mm -hmm. Ko both Koyuki and Chiba had separate singing voices than their... Uh, speaking voices, which is, that's not uncommon. That's that's crazy, actually, because especially like the modern like anime seiyu landscape, they kind of like there is a sort of expectation that like a lot of the seiyus are also like singers and performers as well. I, I, I'm mm -hmm. guessing it. I don't know what this the state of that scene was at the time, but given who they pulled, I suspect part of it is they very distinctly wanted rock singers. Yes, that and the, and the, and yeah. the kind of music that seiyus are usually encouraged to do is a lot like it be, more. It, it's a lot it, more it, poppier and a lot more polished and not as like it's. The, I think I think a, bear, a more speculation centric. Exactly, yeah. a speculation. I think they probably wanted people who are a lot more underground sounding, and you can probably find seiyu singers who can sing like that, but that's not what they're doing for their bread and butter. Basically, they didn't want to have it sound like Bel Am. They wanted it to sound. I mean, like she, that. yeah. I mean, not not to put too fine a point on it, but exactly. Yeah. yeah. This is the kind of music that they're lampooning in the show. Yes. Is the type of music that seiyu are known. Actually, for. if we're still mm -hmm. on the subject of music, let's let, let's just let's let's just. So I have a gun right here. Let's just toss it in the middle of the ring. What's the mm -hmm. best song in the show? Oh, hold on, hold on. Andrew, you, you take the gun first and go and say, what, what is your favorite song of the soundtrack? My favorite one, I was really, I was really, really, I was going into this basically, I like for most of my watch, I was so ready and hard to fight for Mood on the Water. 
And in my heart, I still want to fight for mood on the water. You might have to fight someone for that, but... But then... But then... God damn it, the surprise foreskin song turned out to be a fucking banger. (laughs) Not to put too fine a point on it, but yes. We'll get to that. (laughs) That character is interesting enough. Uh, Okay, Jackson, I don't think I have to Uh, ask you what your favorite is. The song is Slip Out, by the way. So, As I already said on the uh, Q&A episode, my favorite song is Moon on the Water. Uh, It has emotionally conditioned me after years that it just takes a couple of bars to make me cry. Like if, if you need to incapacitate me, just play that and I'm down making a note for when I rob your house. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I don't have a great explanation for it. I will just uh, steal Koyuki's line when he uh, gets to get up on stage and sing that song is it brings back good memories. Mm. on. What about you? In the context of the show, I mean, the I feel like I feel like the best musical moment in the show is probably Kayuki and Maho singing "Moon on the Water" at the pool. Oh like, God, really? that's that's just I I I just think that's beautiful. It's just it has so much like meaning, and it's it's one of, that moment is one of those moments. It's like yeah, this is why I like music. This this right here. That is well shot. Um, but if I had to go for favorite song, I don't. I don't know because I often have liking songs for dumb reasons. Like uh, I can't remember the name, but that kind of Rage Against the Machine song that Beck plays, where like it has a it has kind of like a thrashy beginning and then it kind of switches into a different tempo. Every time that happens, I'm like, yeah, that's good. You're Typhoon Twenty Four, aren't you? Exactly. It's like ah, that's real. That's uh, real good. Yeah. Yeah. I think I th- you're either thinking of Typhoon Twenty Four or Brainstorm, but I'm pretty sure. I think I think it, I think it's Typhoon Twenty Four. Yeah. The ones that- uh, but I also like Kayuki's like made up not I've got a feeling song. Like it's very hard for me to choose. The music in this in the show is very good all around. Yeah. Like it's very consistent. Yeah, that Did you know there's a Beatles cover in this song or in this show? I didn't. Did, no. These music no, references think, go think, right over my head. No, I think your phrasing's correct. The beat it, it, I, there's it, a Beatles it, cover in this song is actually a lot more apt for this scenario. Yeah, so here's the thing. Okay, so in episode 24 where they're at the concert and Koyuki is all alone picking his guitar which by the way, they say in the dub that I think that's Julia's acoustic guitar. No, no, no. If you turn on the subtitles, uh, that was supposed to be Jewel's guitar. Like, like the character of Jewel was supposed <laughs> to be a cameo as like the blonde acoustic yeah. guitar singer earlier. And the, this was before With the Jean Jacket. Yeah, this is before you know uh, 303 and the whole intuition thing happened. This is when she was like a respectable artist. So he's singing up there, and in English it sounds like a song, a, a new song. It's you know I can't express this emotion, this emotion in me. Originally, it was a cover of the Beatles' I've Got a Feeling, like in full instrumentation and lyrics, covering it completely, but they couldn't clear the license for Amer- for the English release. And it was... I'm shocked. It was such the point that, and this is uh, based on rumors I've read in forums and based on convention visits, but apparently the crew, like including Greg Ayers, who voices Koyuki, said... If we need to, we'll like we'll dub this for free if that means we can afford to get the license. Like, because we really want to finish this show. Of course, luckily they didn't have to do that. So they mm-hmm. they put together this uh, hybrid song of uh, it kind of sounds like I've got a feeling with different lyrics mixed with uh, another song that shows up throughout the show. So it's just different enough that it's not 
technically legal copyright. It's a pretty impressive homunculi. I, I, I've actually, actually, to be honest, I kind of like their version a little better just because I think in the context of the show, Kayuki doing an on-the-spot rearrangement of another Beck song feels more appropriate to what he's going through. Yeah. Like, this, this is what, this is what right. Kayuki can do. Yes. Right. I, I think they set this song up as a Dying Breed uh, song throughout oh, the show. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. It's a Dying yeah. Breed song, not a Beck yeah. song, but like... He does it with Moon on the Water. He does it with this. Which, just because I know we're talking about ADR, writing and stuff, I'm just going to be very short and quickly say the directing is solid and the script is very, very good. And why is that? Because it is. Thank you. <laughs> all right, Jackson, do, do you agree or... Uh, yeah. When you consider that they had to re-record all this music, they also had to score the entire show because there's very little OST in this. Like, all of the music is diegetic. It's all coming from, like... Oh, you're right, actually. Walls. I was thinking about that. It's almost was... all of it. There, I wanted to point that out, because people have the, made that claim before that it's all diegetic. There's, like... The, there's there's a couple, like, guitar stings. Yes. Stings. Yes. Or guitar cues when, like, a character is talking about music. But that's very rare. And it's mostly just uh, either someone playing or off in the distance. It's for, like, a couple of big moments where they break the non-diegetic thing it's i or it's implied through like a scene transition basically yeah it's either a scene transition or like a someone's rem- having a memory about something or like a kiss that took fucking 25 episodes too yeah. long the, the point i'm making here is that the the mixing is especially impressive there because they all, were also scoring this show what what about your uh, your impressions of like the actual directing like because this is very different from the japanese for one key reason <laughs> The uh, language on this is very colorful, very varied. I I like how like you can tell a character's personality by the amount of f bombs they drop. <laughs> oh God, you're <laughs> right. You, you have you have characters that are using very colorful insults. Mm-hmm. You have one very precision f bomb uh, by our main character. I love that precision uh, f bomb. Wait, uh, wait, when did he, wait, I'm actually trying to remember, when did Koyuki okay. say fuck? So, Koy- so Koyuki, uh, he's got his necklace that's got the guitar pick on it, all of a sudden, big ass bully oh, yeah. snaps it, and Koyuki looks up at him and says, you motherfucker. Oh god, I forgot about that, yeah, that's a, that was a good one. Yes. And then there's Chiba, and Chiba, every other, every like third line of dialogue is fuck. It's great. Uh, yeah, the dialogue's very casual and easygoing, very, a lot of, like, back and forth and, like, intimate conversations a lot of this time. Like, this is a very quiet show when they're not rocking out, for example. That's ironic, but you're right. And Aman, you had a, I think you said in the chat you had a similar reaction to the, the overall acting too, right? Oh, it's great. This is, this is, uh, comparing it to an indie movie feels appropriate, uh, both because this feels very... It's a sort of show where I'd, I wouldn't even necessarily call it realistic. It just feels like it's going for a lot of vermicillitude. It's like, it feels very... I believe it. Like, I it, you know, I believe all these actors are the characters. Like, I'm not... It's not one of these shows where I spend a lot of time thinking about, like, the mechanics of the acting. It's just like, ah. They're, you know, those... Oh, those are those people. I, I'm, I'm thinking, if this was, like, an actual indie thing, who would be, like, the Hollywood A-lister that would just be tossed into this movie because they really wanted to do an indie movie? Um, I'm guessing uh, it would be uh, whoever plays Saito. 
that feels like where the that feels like where the more the more famous person who wants to do an indie movie would end up. Oh God, you're right. Jack Black as Kenichi Saito. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Fuck, you nailed it. Okay. But, see, he's the only guy who, like, yeah, Jack Black's the only guy I can think of who would be like, who would really want to be in this kind of movie? And as far as A-list celebrities go, that's the one. Mr. Black, why did you do this movie? It's like, well, it's just School of Rock with more swearing. See, if if, if not Kenichi Saito, it would be the guy that sold uh, Koyuki his guitar. Yeah, uh, Tanabu. Hmm. I, I could see that actually being cast as to, like, an, like an actual aging rock star. But no, it's just like an unspoken rule that no one uh, points it out in the movie. It's one, it's one of the guys from Mr. Big. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, as a, a credit to the adaptation, as a, I think Noah was alluding to earlier, in the Japanese track, a number of the characters spend a lot of time talking in English. Uh, oh, no, 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 not English. That's no, not what you're... They, no, they, they speak English. There's a big difference. Yeah. I'm not gonna say it's terrible, but some of it, especially for the from the character from coming from the characters who sound like they're supposed to be like have lived in America for a significant period of time, uh, it, it they're trying their best. I'm not gonna try. I'm not gonna give them grief for not having mastered another language for an acting job. Like that seems cruel. Let um, alone a singing job. Yeah, but I would say I I think it's a credit to how well this adaptation is that if you don't know that fact, you would not pick it up as like a weird quirk of the dub um like i know i know that they they talk in like one of the commentaries you can get on the dvd of like they didn't really they really couldn't think of a good like one-to-one version to translate that over so they just kind of didn't bother with it and i think that kind of works right um like i was never left like kind of wondering what's going on i guess if that makes sense it's it's an absence that isn't noticed which i think is is a a sign of how well everything's being done yeah, that was a de- that was what I was gonna point out was how well that part of it was handled because the the part of this uh, or show in Japanese was supposed to be that English is supposed to be like this perpetual language that is uh, fascinating to the characters because all their favorite musicians, uh, the Stones, the Beatles, the Queen, all of them, uh, originally sang- the Rocket Boys, the, <laughs> the the famous Rocket Boys that every yeah, no. In, in case you're wondering, as far as that, they are not a real band. They, they are made up for the purposes of this show. Are you sure? As far as I Do, as far as I know, I, I swear. Jo- I, I saw you, you can just treat them as the. Beatles. I swear I saw Jake Gyllenhaal in that band once. That, that's a three layer reference that not everyone's going to get. Smile, nod, smile, nod. <laughs> like it's all going over my head anyway. So I, this is fine. Go, go watch October Sky. It's a good movie. It's a very good movie. And it was originally going to be called Rocket Boys. But the point I was going to make is that um, in the Japanese, uh, a lot of the characters, like uh, Anban was saying, not only do they speak English, but a lot of the songs originally were sung in English. Even the characters who don't speak English fluently and aren't American characters are expected to sing their songs in English because, like the opening song says, they want to hit in America. And as we, as we know, in 2004, no foreign language songs are going to get big in America. Yeah. <laughs> oh my! Oh how the times have changed. <laughs> this is a pre-Gangnam Style, pre-K-pop, pre-BTS world. Oh yeah. Yes. But uh, yes, I want to absolutely commend Chris, Talison, everyone who worked on the adaptation because what they did is any time in the sub where a character uh, made a mention of speaking in English or how difficult it was to understand other characters were speaking in English, they covered it up with. 
uh, it being more of a cultural thing. Uh, here's a perfect example of it. There's a scene where Koyuki goes out with Maho and her friends, and all of her friends are speaking in pretty broken English, but Koyuki doesn't understand a lick of it. He has not really learned English at this point. And so he, you know, he leaves, he walks out, and as he's walking out in the Japanese, he says, um, I can't understand them with all of that English they're speaking. Can't really say that in the dub. So what they change it to is they change it to uh, Koyuki lamenting as he's walking out. Is that girls all girls talk about? Meaning their conversation about boys and makeup and more boys and pretty much just boys and and cars and clubbing. Yeah, yeah and it makes sense because it, it's just yeah. it's just as baffling to hear people speak in a foreign language as it is hearing them talk about a hobby or a subject that you yourself just don't know anything about or have no interest in. Yeah, and that conversation would be just as confusing as a English first-person speaker, because they're switching between them, uh, the two languages, rapidly in that conversation. I'm, like, they're yeah. peppering their language with English and Japanese. I'm glad... Like, any bilingual person would. Yeah, I'm glad you caught that. Like, I was wondering at first, like, are they just slipping on in the uh, Japanese actors trying to speak English? But I have uh, Hispanic in-laws, and they do that a lot, where... Their conversations is is like Mexican, but it's I'm sorry Spanish, but it's peppered with uh, some English, or it's vice versa. It's English peppered with Spanish. So you are absolutely right about that. Yeah, and I think the there's nothing lost in this uh, translation of making this language barrier into a cultural barrier. I think the only line that I lament is uh, there. There's a burly American character that says. Nobody calls me Baca. <laughs> that we lose out on in the dub. <laughs> really. <laughs> That is true. Yeah, yeah. Koyuki goes up to him and calls him Bakiero, and that and he the word that he catches it from that conversation is Baka. Mm-hmm. And he's just go, Yeah, that's funny. There, there's a couple of things where I'd argue they do lose it. Uh, that's one of them. Like that whole, um, you think that he doesn't understand what the Japanese character is saying because he's drunk, but you're right. In the sub, it was because. Uh, they're speaking a completely different language. Um, yeah, yeah. There's one part that I really do think gets lost. It's um, there's a scene where uh, Yoshido, the blonde asshole who sells water, is uh, over at the restaurant with Maho. And oh Ma- God, he's such an asshole. And we'll get to that asshole. And Maho's like asking Koyuki, "Hey, do you want to come to this party with us?" And Yoshido switches to English in the Japanese to tell Maho that he does basically says, "I don't want this asshole coming along with us." Uh, they don't do that in the dub. They just cont- it keeps the same language. So he's basically just speaking very bluntly instead of in front of Koyuki. So it, you don't get across the sense of he's trying to hide his thoughts in front of him at all. I, I've had people do that in Quebec where uh, they talk to the our English chaperones in French, uh-huh. uh, insulting them to their face, not knowing that there's a bunch of French immersion kids <laughs> along with them that know what they're saying. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's great. As you can tell from the consensus here, it's really great music, and it's a really large hurdle that they've managed to get over with the the language gap there. So everyone who we mentioned in this group, fantastic this, job. This is a pretty impressive production, and even like listening to it for the first time, like almost f- like fifteen years later, it's still a pretty impressive production all around. I'm sorry, that was my last question was, especially for Andrew and Amon, since this was the first time listening, uh, does this dub uh, hold up to you in terms of, you know, modern dub sensibilities? Do you think a um, newer dub listener would have any trouble getting into this? Uh, I don't think so, barring just not being into the kind of show Beck is. Like, I, I almost feel like stylistically that's more of a hurdle, because this feels... Yeah. 
this feel this if you're if you're like if you've mostly been exposed to anime that came out the last like five seven years mm-hmm. this must feel very alien yeah oh like, it, just, it feels this, this it. the kind of show they just they just they don't make this kind of show anymore right i, I i'd also say like style it like the dub itself is strong and like really cool and like really strong but i'll, I'll definitely say yeah like the show also like aesthetically looks okay i'm not going to say it looks bad but it is rougher than some people who are into like more modern stuff i think would be used to or in tune with it's kind of grungy and desaturated compared mm-hmm. to like something you'd see nowadays like it's a mid-2000s digipaint show and it looks good for a mid-2000s digipaint show yeah it, it, mm-hmm. it's clearly like madhouse was clearly trying to reach an aesthetic they weren't trying to create a lucky star yeah I, I don't i don't think this is like a bad production or like the art looks like ass i think it's legit this was this was the style he wanted to do. And I could tell this was his style because I watched Gurren Lagann and oh I know this God. style when I've seen it. Yeah, you, you kind of spot like the squared mouths and the teeth right away. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's one there's one great there's one great bit in um I think it's episode like twenty three or twenty four where the two like Beck groupies are freaking out and they they just turn into <laughs> Kobayashi characters. It is though so- just like just straight up. You, I think uh, on the commentary... Potato uh, people. Commentary, yeah, the commentary said, um, uh, I want to know what's going on with those characters who look like Shinchan characters. <laughs> uh, anime. <laughs> That's um, pretty good. We should probably talk about some of those groupies. Zach. Yes, right. we should. Yeah, we should. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're actually not going to talk about those two groupies, although I will give a shout out to both of them. Because the the problem with this show is that there's a lot of characters and there's a lot of like side friends who there's so many characters up. and so little time. There's so many like one off characters that I adore. Like the first line of the show is someone blowing a raspberry. That's great. <laughs> we don't have time to talk about that. No, we're we're gonna try to focus on we're gonna talk about buddies here and we're gonna focus on like uh, some of the main friends who show up repeatedly in the show. Or at the very least, are prominent in the first half of the show and then fall off the end of the show by the second half. So let's talk about. First up, we're going to talk about Eddie Lee. Uh, we're going to talk about the band member from Dying Breed, who is a good buddy of Ryusuke's, and we actually get to meet him when his band comes to do a Japanese tour. Oh God, do I have things to say about that English translation? Uh, we're also going to talk about Tanabe. Now I said earlier that Koyuki doesn't have any friends. That's not technically true. When we first meet him, he has one kind of pervy middle school friend, and that's Tanabe, who is not only a pervert, but looks like he failed about five grades because he does not look like any middle schooler I've ever seen. Okay, I was going to say, the the dude looks older than Kenichi Saito. And uh, That's obviously by design, but yeah, I have questions for the character if I saw him in real life. He he is a he is a rough fifteen, <laughs> a really rough fifteen. He's like he's like the fucking baby from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's our. He's been smoking every day of his life and was left out in the sun for too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. Now, who did not have a rough fifteen was our uh, our crush on Koyuki, as uh, Izumi Ishiguro, who is. A childhood friend of Koyuki's who he kind of rekindles a friendship with when she asks him to go bowling in the first episode, which kind of uh, kickstarts the whole show. So she's very significant. And also significant is Hiromi Masaoka, who is a friend who Koyuki befriends in high school in the second half of the show and is also a really great gymnast. I want to really commend her on that. 
we and to round out the friends list, we, we got to talk about the two animals who show up in the eye cats of the show and pop up throughout the whole show. We got to talk about Beck the dog and Paige the bird, neither of whom have very many lines, but who leave a big impact on the show. They so, do leave a big impact on the show. They do, I, I, I had to talk about these two. All right, so Hetty Lee is voiced by Jason Liebrecht, um, who's been around Funimation for quite a while. You're going to hear some older veteran Funimation actors in this whole thing, some who you may not have heard of before. Uh, if you saw Black Cat, you've seen Jason before because he played the lead. He played Train Hartnet. Uh, if you saw Subasa Chronicles, he played Sau- Sauron. Um, but Sauron. If, thank, thank you. Uh, but if you're more of a modern watcher and you've been watching My Hero Academia, you've seen this bad boy as Dobby. That that guy. He's now, pretty lit. That he is. Mm. Now, Tanabe is voiced by Kevin M. Connolly, uh, who he's uh, played Pell in One Piece. He's played Matoki in Big Windup. And uh, for more of a modern audience, he played Heathcliff in the Sword Art Online franchise. Switching on over. Heathcliff? Yes. Okay, Heathcliff is he is the commander of the Knight of the Blood. I, I don't I don't know I don't know who I don't care who he is, I'm just confused that he's named Heathcliff. Okay. <laughs> which brings to mind either the orange cat from the comic strips or that guy from that Kate Bush song about Wuthering Heights. You just have to remember that's the name of his RPG character. Alright, uh, well, he's a nerd then. Okay, never mind. You've explained everything to me. Okay, cool. <laughs> Voicing Izumi is Colleen Clinkenbeard. Now, that's a name I know you've all heard before because he because she plays Hardy's main squeeze Momo in My Hero Academia. Or she voices Yurika in Yuri Kuma Arashi. And as to reference an episode that we just did not too long ago, she plays Chieko in Dime a Dollar. I wanted to list some high school roles there because she mostly does, like, uh, older, sultry-sounding characters, but she also has a pretty good high school uh, girl voice as well. Uh, someone who also has a very good high school girl voice is Laura Bailey, who plays Hiromi, because you have definitely been hearing her recently in the Fruits Basket, both the original and the remake that is wrapping up very soon. Or if you're a really old-school fan, you may have heard her as Serena in Case Close. Or if you don't watch any of those things and you're a basic idol person who watches Glitter Force, you've still heard her before because she plays Glitter Lucky. And yes, to all you people listening, yes, she is also a member of Critical Role. She has, like, a fucking resume and you go through Glitter Force? I was trying to think of, like, a modern anime that the basic people would have heard of before. Yeah, Yeah, the five-year-old girls that will listen to our show. (laughs) (laughs) Hello... Hello, little hello, hi, little hi, girls hi, that tuned in for a Beck Mongolian <laughs> Shop Squad episode. Th- really, you're learning a lot tonight. <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you for lasting the last fifty minutes. Now, please turn this off and turn on one of the ones where we don't swear. Question mark. Let's go. Do we have those. Go, go watch the, uh, some... the Little Witch Academia episode. That's maybe more up. There we go. Anyways, and to round it off, uh, Beck is voiced by Chris Bevins, and Paige is voiced by Jamie Markey. I'm not going to list all of Chris Bevins' roles because I went through a tone before, and I'm not going to list all of Jamie Markey's roles because if you don't know who Jamie Markey is at this point, you need to go watch some gosh darn anime. Panty and Stocking, Danganronpa, and Mount Lady in My Hero Academia, just to name a few. There you go. 
So I just want to start off this section by saying that uh, to, true to what was being talked about before, there's a lot of really good side characters in all of this. And uh, I like that because it's kind of equivalent to what I think a lot of our real lives are like. You know, we we don't just have, like, one core group of friends. We have lots of smaller groups of friends who, like, interconnect and intermingle amongst each other. So the casting on this is pretty darn good. Uh, I don't have any qualms on any of them. I actually really like that uh, Laura Bailey and Colleen Clinkenbeard sound distinct enough from each other and that you wouldn't confuse the two characters. Uh, they're, you know, they're well cast and well acted as well to represent different parts of the show because they don't interact with each other. They are completely separate school characters. They have, they have never met because they are in different schools. And yeah. Um, now, as far as the, uh, uh, um, Jason Liebrecht's Eddie Lee thing there. Um, does everyone here have a pretty good impression of Jason Liebrecht from this show? Uh, my impression for, of Jason Liebrecht is that the dude is a pretty cool cucumber as far as a rocker guy. Like, I believe his voice is a guy that would definitely be like a rock star or like a rock star behind the scenes. If anyone in this show is stoned 24-7, it's this character. He he, he does a good job being the, like, yeah, the cool laid-back rocker in contrast to him. Is it Mark who's the lead singer of Dying Breed? It's Mark, yes. yeah. Yeah, Mark who's, like, the, the, very, the, the very the very full of himself, like, asshole rock star guy. I'm glad you said, like, I'm glad you said he was stoned, Jackson, because I have a very mixed reaction to everything Jason's done before. I've never listened to anything he's done and thought he, he didn't sound kind of odd. Like, um... Uh, I mentioned this in the Kado episode, uh, that he sounded very alien, and that was perfect because he played an alien in that show. And you're right, he does sound a little stoned in this show as well. He's, he's got kind of like an airheaded vibe throughout the whole thing. Like, he's not making great decisions throughout this. Like, he calls up uh, uh, Ryusuke, and they get back there, and he's like, hey, that, uh, that guitar, let me borrow it and bring it up on stage with me and declare to the world that I have this guitar. Oh. In the middle of my rockumentary that's being filmed. Let, let, let me cause a scene on that stage as well. Uh, and humiliate <laughs> the band that's playing with us. Which, man, that's still pretty funny. Isn't it? But, like, it, like that, that scene ruled, but also I'd be so fucking pissed. This, that is that is that is that is against the whatever the rock musician version of the bro code is. <laughs> you only only you are allowed to Hendrix your own guitar, not other people. Is that musical NTR? It only it, well no because this is be this would be more akin to like homicide. Yeah, like that's like you can actually fuck up the guitar permanently if you do. No, that. no, no. The musical equivalent of NTR is um. You ever seen the movie Drumline? Offhand, no. Okay, it's a it's a movie about college drumlines, and near the end of the movie, there's like a battle between the two colleges' drumlines, and the opposing team they do this fucked up thing where they they basically they're playing their drums, and then they take their sticks and they start playing the other team's drums like right in front of them. That feels like musical NTR more than anything else. Anyways, Noah, you need to watch more things with Jason Lebrecht in it. Watch Noragami. I will do just that as soon as we're done with this. I I have no other plans than to watch Noragami. I believe I, you. I, I don't believe a single thing you just fucking said, and I want to beat your ass right now. So let's continue on. I'm also going to wire uh, you a million dollars. Just just give me your checking account. <laughs> God, I'll oh, are, you, are you going to offer that bridge you were trying to sell me to? Uh, it's coming, I swear. Any day now. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. No. Okay. I'm sorry. So okay. So moving on over to uh, Tanabe. Uh, yeah, uh, he's obviously not supposed to look like a normal middle schooler, and so it's fitting that Kevin doesn't really give him a middle schooler voice. Mm, no, he, I, 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 I liked his performance a lot because I thought it's like, yeah, that's exactly how this weird middle schooler should sound. <laughs> it, he sounds awful like a weird middle schooler does. Okay, yeah. so... Just because Shrek's been popular in the news this week, does they, has anyone oh, no. ever seen the movie Shrek Forever After? No, Thankfully, because I no, I tapped out after two. I went out on a high. Okay, does anybody, like, in Shrek Forever or After, there's just this one fucking kid with a really deep voice that's just like, hey, do the roar. You do the roar, right? Do the roar. No, but it was just like literally just this one short-looking kid that had basically like a like smoking cigarette Bobby Hill-esque voice. And it's not quite like that, but this like this kid very much <laughs> He got he didn't get the he didn't get the pretty genes from his parents. It's more like that. And it, it feels a little like um you know, that that's how far Koyuki had fallen at that point in middle school. It's like the best friend that he could get is the ugliest, perviest kid in school. Yeah. This kid sucks, man. He's it's, the friend you make out of necessity. You're yes. exactly right. It's not, it's not even that he's just a pervert. It's that he's like he's like the pervert like that actually looks like a pervert. Uh, yeah. yeah. Come watch me play video games at the arcade. That'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> now, to be fair, uh, this is the first time we're actually going to talk about like real singing here because we actually do get to hear Kevin sing a little bit. And um, it's it's not that bad. It, it's perfectly fitting for like the amateur middle school uh, jam band performance they were trying to put I, on. I, I actually want to. Uh, this is something I wanted to bring up in the, mu- in the music section we were talking about and forgot. One of the things I think is a hallmark of a good dub with music. How does the bad singing sound? Like the singing that's supposed to sound bad. And Kevin here is a great sounds, example of that. Like this yeah. sounds like authentically bad singing. Because sometimes you'll get it. Well, like. Whoever's doing it is a trained singer, so they try and sound bad, but their their muscle memory is too strong for them to actually sound poor quality. Like the most they can do is like peek their microphone. Yeah, like they'll they'll have a few sour notes here and there, but like it still sounds competent. Yeah. Kevin's a good example of like no, this is actual like amateur bad singing. Yeah. yeah. The, the note then, I have here is screechy and awful. Exactly. We'll talk about. We'll br- I'll bring this up again later with another character. You all know. Y- who. Yes. Um. <laughs> But yeah, like this, this is this is something that like you know they know. All right, this guy's not supposed to sing. We're gonna cast somebody who's gonna sound like an actual like rank amateur who, at best, sounds good on karaoke where the echoes turn up so loud you can't tell anyone's bad. I mean, it does help that they're mm-hmm. they're recording this with uh, you know professional equipment over at Funimation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah no, nothing makes an amateur sound more amateur than you know having the microphone built into your desktop kind of quality. Oh yeah, so that's Tanabe. Good job by Kevin. Um, now let's talk about uh, Colleen as Izumi. Um, you know, really, because without Izumi, we wouldn't have a plot. Like she, 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 she is the one who pulls Koyuki to go out to bowling and uh, incidentally meets Ryusuke, which really gets this plot going. So I, I think it's really nice that they cast Colleen as uh, you know the high school voice that's nice, but it's also got. What did I write exactly? I wrote like that she had a quality. What was it? She has like big this... sister. It's not just the the attitude. It's also like the vocal affectation. It's like uh, she's got like a bit of a crackle to invoke a voice that's someone who's 
yeah, big sisterly. That, that's not a bad like, way to word it. Yeah, I'd also say she she's got she's got like the she's got like the wise for her age kind of aura about her too. Where mm-hmm. it's like she, yeah. she 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 doesn't necessarily sound like she is an older character, but she carries her inflection as somebody who's a little wiser, more put together, despite the fact that she probably also is a little bit immature and can be selfish and she she wants things sometimes but she's smart enough to realize i waited too long what, what was the exact line i, was, I know you I, wrote I, it down i, I did I, it was i missed my chance with you and I, I didn't deliver that nearly as well as she did but that in fact i love the way that colleen delivers that line where she realizes that she she missed her chance to get together koyuki and i waited too long yeah and it's it's not that she's sad. It's it's that she's come to terms with it. You know, she's delivering it in a I I'm not happy about it, but I've learned to live with this now. Like she she has had her she has had her heartbreak and her like crying session. She has had that away from the plot. She is just in terms with the fact that your heart's with her now. Go get him, Tiger. I loved, I love Andrew. I loved your uh, your reaction when uh, Izumi like confronts Maho. It was, it was like, um, uh, uh, it's not often you fall into your own love triangle. He literally just walked into the middle of his own love triangle. The lucky son and of it's a like... bitch. <laughs> Is he lucky though? He goes. He's 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 only lucky if it resolves cleanly. Otherwise, it's just nightmare a pain. It's like it resolves cleanly, and they, then they're good. And then fucking Yoshino comes in, and he's just he is just a straight up cum dumpster of a person. <laughs> I hope that five year old in the group is not here excellent. anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry for all of you uh, young Glitter Force fans that walked in on the Beck Mongolian Chop Squad episode. Uh, uh, go watch Welcome to Demon School, Irmakun. I think you'll enjoy that a lot more. I promise I'll do that as soon as we're done recording. Uh, Jackson, God, watch Jackson. that with your kids, Noah. They'll fucking love it. Jackson, did you have any other thoughts on Colleen? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I have never heard Colleen go this young. Like, some of... Some amount of that is this is pre Luffy changing her voice irrevocably. Oh um, yeah, but like even even as a high schooler, she still sounds older than the other kids, mm-hmm. right? A, a big uh, yeah, a big part of that was um, this kind of goes back to how it was directed was uh, the characters who were the most Japanese were directed to be the the most demure sounding, the most put together, whereas the more American characters uh, not only got the most colorful language, but they also had the like the loosest directing as well i knew the show was going to attack me personally but when it got to the bowling alley that's when it came into my house and attacked me with a bat on the back of the head like the bowling alley was my hangout spot from the ages of 8 to 18 this is this is cruel this is cruel (laughs) and unusual punishment but i mean jackson they don't have they don't have baseball bats in bowling alleys you should know the shoes are big enough right (laughs) uh the, the other thing i really wanted to Uh, hone in on was i i really like how easily that these characters reconnect like they've been apart for two years these are childhood friends uh and they slip right back into uh the friendship that they had before yeah right and that that's very true to life where you are around the same people and are very easily able to go right back to being the people you were 
at that time. Dude, if Maho wasn't the best, I so would have rooted for her. Are you tell are you telling me you wouldn't have voted for Hiromi? Okay. Okay, no, here's the thing. I like Hiromi a lot. I think she's adorable. I think Laura Bailey is delightful, and she does a great job making her sound, like, ditzy, but sweet enough. No, I wanted her to be with... I wanted her to not be with, uh, Koyuki. No, I wanted her... I wanted her to be with Saku. Which they sort of vaguely allude to that at the very end, but never go anywhere with it. I'm sure it's in the extended uh, extended cut. You mean the manga? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is not Lord of the Rings. Uh, okay, so yeah, I'll agree on Laura having that uh, night that younger sounding voice. I don't know if I'd call it ditzy though. I kind of disagree on that. And I know that she got fired from the donut place for being kind of clumsy, but I don't think her persona fits ditzy. Like we got, uh, I'm not sure what the exact wording I would use, but she is definitely a little more, f I guess, free spirited. Maybe. Yeah. She comes out uh, outside in her leotard to give a thank you, right? Mm -hmm. She, that kind of forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. Um, there you yeah. go. That, that's a good word for it. Yeah. it it's she's a good yeah. girl. Look, she, she's she, a good, no, she's, she's just no, she's a sweetheart, and I and I wish her the best of luck with her dreams. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but also by that point in the show, it was like. Okay, I'll admit I'm a little biased. Like, by that point of the show, I had actually gotten kind of excessively frustrated with the pussyfooting around of Koyuki and Maho's relationship. Mm. So when I saw her being introduced as another access, I was kind of like, really? Well, it's not like she was... I guess. I mean, do you really think she was introduced as a potential love interest? Because I always thought that their friendship was entirely platonic the whole time. Oh, I, I, I thought she was introduced as a love interest, but for Saku. That's where I kind of thought they, it they was going They have that one shot where, like, she's saying something, they linger on Saku just smiling at her. It's like, oh, I see. Like, I could work with that, but they don't go into that enough, and there was just enough plausible deniability to it still have been a Koyuki angle. No, no, Koyuki would stab his bro in the back like that. He's not. Oh, no, oh, no. He, he likes Saku too much, and Saku's too good. No, no, no Koyuki, Koyuki, Koyuki didn't have the nosebleed gag. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, her room is very nice. Like, she's very an easygoing high school girl type. I, I actually really like that she's kind of coming in f very fresh-faced after the other characters have had all this development, so that, mm -hmm. like, Koyuki can teach her everything that she, Koyuki he's Koyuki is the senior now. Yeah. He, he has a Kohai now. Even though they're the same age, but... Uh... He, he can teach her how to read the Deetless music book now. Oh god, the Deetles. <laughs> no, not even the Deetles, the Deetless. Because there's an extra S on that book. I will just put a picture of it right here, but... For some reason, they could... Hey, let's go back to the music thing just a second, because they can mention bands, like, in audio format, but god forbid you, you like, put their logos or the correct spelling of their names on the screen anywhere. Yeah. That's trademark. Yeah. Rubber kids. That's not copyright. Rubber That's kids beat less is beat more. Yeah. Is it um, Harumi that gets caught on the F chord? I, I've heard that term thrown around a bunch in like uh, Agretzko and My Hero Academia whenever I, a character is trying to learn guitar. I can explain that, actually. Please do. Sure. On standard guitar tuning, a lot of chords can be done uh, open, which basically means you let you don't put your fingers on some of the strings. They just ring out. 
um, G, C, and D, for example. F, however, is probably the most common chord that you can't do that on standard guitar tuning. You have to do a bar chord, which means you have to take your index finger and press down, like, all. some number of the strings. Like, in theory, like, all six, although a couple of them will be pressed down by other fingers. Right. And consequently, like, if you're, if you're a beginner guitar player, that's probably the first chord you're going to get that's going to be really hard to do correctly until you get better at it and you build calluses on your hands and that kind of thing. But what if your fingers are just really <laughs> short? Then you're fucked. Uh, then you get a then you get a child sized guitar or something. <laughs> you get a much. ukulele. Um, uh, yeah, like no, no, I mean, I mean, to a certain extent, just like yeah, like guitars are kind of made with a s- assumption your hands are of a certain size. Right. To 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 the point that I have heard the 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 uh, I have heard people suggest that part of the reason Hendrix was a good guitar player is that apparently his hands were just massive. Like, dude just had big hands. Ableism in the music industry. Mm. It's more likely than you'd think. That's probably about the closest I get to. Uh, this character is trying to learn guitar for a little bit. Like, I didn't actually uh, take this seriously, but my this was for an event uh, that my uncle was throwing at his winery, uh, where he needed someone out at the road to direct traffic and someone to attract attention. So he sends me out there with a acoustic guitar, and I'm just out there at 14 years old in a cap in the sun, just strumming on this guitar, not knowing what I'm doing, <laughs> just messing around and, and pointing cars to the back lot where they can park. Did, did you at least have the guitar case open with a couple dollars in it? No, I think I went out there without any case. I may uh, have had a chair. No. But yeah. You know, just long enough there to make noise and give myself blisters. No, that, that's commendable. I, I hope your uncle recognized that very well. So uh, to wrap this all up, um, I just want to talk about uh, Chris's Beck and Jamie's page here. Because... Asshole! Asshole! I would if if Jamie only had to like make bird squawk noises, I probably wouldn't have included her. But because her all her lines include her shouting the words asshole, I, I gotta talk I, about it here. Is it how 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 excited do you think Jamie was when like Chris or whoever called her and it's like, hey, why don't you play a bird? She just screams asshole at people. Sign me the fuck up! Just, I'm already in the booth. The whole, Jamie, the whole the whole thing the whole thing might take two hours and you'll be out. <laughs> You'll get paid to do it. <laughs> it's like, I'm sure she had the response of, I was going to do that for free anyway, so hell yeah. <laughs> she wasn't actually professionally He's... recorded. They just they just hung out in the Funimation <laughs> microphone. Chris, I was going to call... She's talking directly to Bevan. Chris, I'm always happy to call you an asshole, but now I can get paid for it. Live, living the dream. <laughs> so yeah, that Jamie did... I think she did a good job in there. Um, I tried to listen to the Japanese to see if it was different. Um, uh... They, Okay, Paige in Japanese is not shouting asshole as easily to understand. It's just a-ho. A-ho. So it's the same syllables, <laughs> but it's... Uh, okay, so like the, um, like, aho girls for airhead girls. So it's still a Japanese insult. Yeah, it's not the exact word. Let's talk about the other good boy really quickly. So Chris Bevins is back. Uh, according to the commentary, he got this, and... Only because he plays a dog in DBZ. I'm actually not sh- not sure which one that is. Oh, he's B. Uh, Chris Bevins is B. He is Majin Buu's little puppy. Okay, I- I'll believe you. I- you could be making it up because I haven't seen any of the show, but I believe you nonetheless. Um, I could be making it up because it when you... Marks? I could actually be making it up because when you really think about it, you get Boo and you get B, and you combine the two together, you get Booby, which sounds like I am being an immature little child, but that's pretty, pretty common for Toriyama's naming, like, shenanigans, especially when you consider the fact that, like, the main villains are Bibbit, like, 
Bobbity, and then his father is Bibbity, and he created Boo. I am I am shocked that the man who has an entire family named after underwear would do such a thing. That seems so beneath Toriyama. <laughs> yep, absolutely shocking. But yes, no. Chris Bevins is the goodest boy B, who gets he also gets shot, but then he gets better, and like literally uh, Beck got shot. Who shot the Who shot Beck? N- no, 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 B got shot. B got shot. Literally, like the entirety of the Majin Buu saga would have straight up ended because, like, Mr. Satan just straight up stopped him and he's like, I'm gonna stop killing people now. And then they, like, have a cute little, like, pseudo-gay, like, family life and they get a little dog and they're happy together. Literally, the entirety of the story would have been done had some random sniper asshole guy didn't shoot the dog. That was a tangent. Unfortunately, that... That plan won't work for this show. Oh god, we have so much to fucking talk about. We need to move on. <laughs> my, my only question, my last question on this is just that, like, Beck and Paige are clearly voiced by people, not like they didn't record animal noises or anything. Did that bother any of you guys at all? No. Uh, no, not I'm, especially. I'm, I, I'm used to that, and it makes sense for the talking bird to be voiced by a person. And Beck is a weird dog, so he, he's a cute yeah. little Frankenstein's monster, and he is a very good boy. Yeah. He's an ugly mutt, isn't he? <laughs> that was, a, no, that was uh, uh, I, I won't talk about the... I'm sorry. I want to talk about what they changed in the dub from the Japanese, but I won't. Yeah, so I think it sounds like we got the buddies covered in the section here. They're all good people. Even the the uh, the pervert who's taking pictures of middle schoolers in swimsuits. So let's, uh, let's move on to people who are uh, not so good, shall we? Let, let's move on to a show that involves mobsters, rival musicians, and just good old-fashioned bullies. This is the antagonist section of the show. So, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Leon Sykes. we got to talk about Leon Sykes. we got to talk about the music CEO slash mobster person who uh, really makes life difficult for Ryusuke, which is not surprising since Ryusuke kind of stole his world-famous guitar with some bullet holes in it, but that doesn't make up for what he does. We also got to talk about AG. Um, at the beginning of the show, Ryusuke is in a band called Cereal Mama, and I can't confirm whether that's cereal like the breakfast cereal or cereal experiments lane style. It could be one or the other. But I think it's but, funny. I think it makes more sense that it is cereal like cereal killer, but I think it's a lot funnier when you pretend it's like breakfast cereal mama. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm i gonna guess it is probably like Serial with an S just cause there is a John Waters movie called Serial Mom and that sounds like the kind of thing a like no name rock band would appropriate for their own name that does even yeah. if that is true I'm still going to say it's uh, Serial like the breakfast cereal it just Dude, sounds same. funnier that way it does but uh, part of Serial the breakfast cereal's mama uh, his member is AG who uh, is kind of at odds with Ryosuke and that band breaks up by episode 3 leaving AG to go off and start his own band called Bell Am and he pops up back and forth, and his involvement kind of actually makes it really hard for Beck to get anywhere in the music industry. So we gotta talk about him. AG now- very much took the cereal part of the Cereal Mama band because he's very bland and sugary. Or at least his Bel Am band is. He's got all the marshmallows. All the marshmallows and none of the fucking health value. You say that, but I, I have a, a two-year-old who does that. I pour him a bowl of Lucky Charms, and in a, seconds later, the marshmallows are gone, and he's done. It's not funny. Exactly. 
Alright, we also have a couple of bullies. We got like we got classic middle school bullies here. We got a big guy. We we got like the biggest middle schooler that you've ever seen in your life. Uh, his name is Rikia, and he's uh, he's uh, it's weird that he starts out as a bully because uh, throughout the show he actually becomes a bit of an asset. So um, it's glad that he, he looks like he belongs in Baki the Grappler. I'm pretty sure he is. I, I think there was a crossover that never materialized, but uh, he has a. Uh, an underling, a uh, lackey, as it were, uh, named Hyodo, who is uh, really the guy who makes Koyuki's life difficult in the show. He uh, extorts him for money, makes him get melon rolls, even makes him go get a new melon roll when the sugar sticks to the wrapper. Uh, but he, he also has a soft side because we find out that his dad used to be a famous singer, and that's why Hyodo himself is actually very enamored with the guitar. So, ironically, Koyuki actually starts to look up to him. Uh, who Koyuki does not look up to is the asshole Yoshida, who is, uh, who shows up in the second half of the show. He is a famous TV drama actor. He sells water on the big billboard, and he basically has a wager with Koyuki for Maho's affection, which, well, we won't spoil how that ends, but Yoshida's a fuckboy. Let's just put it that way. I'm gonna absolutely. I'm gonna be honest. I think a lot of these villains are at least complicated, interesting, and hell, even the fucking bullies are like, like, fucking Riki is a fucking giant motherfucker, and Kyoto's a a total douchebag. But I think he's a complicated enough douchebag, and I think he's at least compelling enough that I think his presence is warranted. Fucking Yoshido literally makes the show worse in some regards. That's why I wanted to talk about it. We can agree that <laughs> yeah. he's not like Yoshi Yoshido's introduction to the back half of the show actively makes it worse. Now, that's up for debate. That uh, Hold on to that thought, actually. I, I want to debate you on that. But let's talk about who voices these characters here. All right, so Leon is by a gentleman by the name of Daniel Drum. And we talked before that there's going to be some actors here that you've never heard of before. I guarantee you almost none of you have heard of Daniel Drum before because, unfortunately, he has not done very much else in either the world of voice acting or live-action acting, as far as we can tell. There's another Daniel Drum out there that... Is probably a different person, so it's very hard to track this character themselves. Daniel Drum is the name of a Marvel comic book character who's in the MCU, which makes yeah, he's, this impossible. He's, uh, he's he's Brother Voodoo's brother. Oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, don't pretend I, I, like which, you know which, which who actually, that is. Which, which which actually led me to wonder if this is a pseudonym for someone yeah. else, which would explain why his. His credits list is so... His, his acting repertoire... His credits list is so tiny. I mean, it could be, yeah. but then again, this dub is full of a couple of people who we just haven't heard from in a while, so I I, I think that's more plausible. That's true. Um, but, I mean, he, he has yeah. been stuff like he's David Pepper in Black Cat, or he's in Bacchano as Elyon, but other than that, yeah, we haven't heard very much else of Daniel, so this is probably the, the most significant role that we've heard him in. Uh, someone who mm -hmm. you've definitely heard before, though, is John Bergmeier, who voices A.G., who uh, is not only doing the script writing for this, but uh, as far as acting goes, um, if you're like Amon and you really love the No Guns Life show, then you've heard him as Cronin Von Wolf. Uh, if you're an old school fan who loved Yu Yu Hakusho, then you've heard him as Kurama. And if you're a person who really loves shoujo stuff and is watching the Fruits Basket remake, you're hearing him currently as Shigure. Motherfucking Shigure, though! That fucking asshole. That fucking piece of shit motherfucker. He's so good. <laughs> Fuck you, Shikare. 
Stay tuned for the Fruits Basket episode. It's going to be spicy. Oh, my God. I didn't, understand, oh. I, I didn't understand why people disliked him so much until I got to season two. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yes. See, I love him. As, he fucking sucks. As someone who's seen two episodes of Fruits Basket, I'm confused <laughs> right now. Well, even in season one, he's singing about high school girls, high school girls. So he's already in. He the is, shit but list, he, right? it gets even worse in the second season. That's 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 just that's just standard anime dirtbag material. Oh no, 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 I'm on. You need to. No, 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 Trust no, us, no, no. I'll put it. I'll put it on the list of all the other shows I should watch and may never get around. Good. Actually, moving we'll, on. We'll watch that after this. Okay, Rikia is voiced by Jason Douglas, who. Is, uh, has been around for quite a while and has done stuff like he was in the initial D dub as Seiji. Uh, he was in a show called Yugo the Negotiator. Uh, he actually voiced Yugo. I have that on my shelf. I haven't gotten around to watching it yet. But because he looks like a character straight out of Kermarty High School, I had to look up if he was actually in the dub for Kermarty, and he was. He was Takeshi in that show. He was Takeshi Hokuto in Cremarda, yes. I was literally just going to look it up in case you didn't yeah, pull it up. I couldn't end off not on that one. I don't think he was in Baki Good. the Grappler, but he was definitely in Cromarty. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember I remember him in the Baki episode. Oh. No, no, I mean, the Cromarty Fuck, I'm tired. God damn it. Okay, uh, Hodo is voiced by Robert McCollum. Uh, oh, boy, I love talking about this guy. Oh, boy. Um, okay, so Robert's been around for a while as well. Uh, he's actually done a lot of uh, high school voices in funny stuff, like he was Toji in Peach Girl. Uh, he was um, Tetsuki in Sounds of Life. Uh, but if you're watching more modern stuff and, uh, you know, you've been enjoying your action-y tsunami so- stuff. What's, hang on, what's Sounds of Life? I don't have time to tell you about it, all right? Uh, I'm sorry, I'll, I will tell you. Oh, do you mean Kona Oto Tomare? I, if I just said it like that, would you you recognize it more by that than Sounds of Life? Yes, actually. Okay, fine, fine. Well, I'm sorry. I needed a show that uh, like referenced music or sound in there somewhere, so I threw that one in. Okay, cool. Fair enough. Um, but Attack on Titan, I was gonna say he's Rainer in Attack on Titan, and everyone's like, "Oh, I know who that is now," because a lot of people have seen Attack on Titan. Not as many people have seen Kotonoto. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Andrew. It's just the facts of life. No, you need to fucking watch some good shit, I swear to Christ, mate. I've been watching all the good stuff right now. I've been, I've been watching, uh, catching up on She-Ra. Hey, he is true. She-Ra is very good. <laughs> and rounding this out, uh, we're going to talk about Yoshido, who is voiced by a name who I have not heard before. But uh, I definitely want to mention him because... Um, okay, so Yoshido is voiced by Jamie McGonagall. I believe I pronounced that right. Um, if you've watched uh, the Pokemon Black and White series, he plays the character of Trip. If you watch the world of Narue, uh, he plays Kazuto. Or, I hate, I goddamn hate the show. If you've seen Magic Users Club, he plays the character of Takeo. And I fucking hate Magic Users Club OVA so much because it has one of the greatest anime opening songs of all time. It's an absolute bop. It's a total misdirection because the show itself is not nearly as good as the song. God, I hate Magic Users Club so much. So, Andrew, go ahead and lead us off here on why all the characters are complex and interesting and Yoshido just flat out sucks. Okay, cool. Okay, you're just throwing me in the deep end. All right. It's, swim! It's a challenge out. I'm ready to swim, motherfucker. Okay, Leon Sykes is a lot more of a fucking, like, when Leon Sykes shows up in the show, like, this is pretty much mostly, like, low-stakes slice of life, like, getting the band off the ground. Yeah. And then it's just hardcore, like... Uh, Ryusuke is just fucking 
fucked because he stole from a very powerful dude and he gets like held up at gunpoint and kidnapped and beat up by a dude with gold teeth. He got fucked up hard by Goldie. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. He gets hot, fucked up hard and then he just jams with his cool uncle. <laughs> what bandages like, and all. Just the cool uncle. Like the dude's bleeding and like he's probably like puffed up in the face somewhat and he's just jamming with this dude it's like wow you're awesome yeah no i'd give you i'd give you my a guitar but my, my... yeah j- jamming after you have the shit beat out of you is very blues music <laughs> it's you know what yeah that's pretty blues music but no i think leon's like fuck he's kind of like a shithead in the music industry but I believe that this is a shithead in the music industry. Oh, at the very end, it suddenly occurred to me. It's like, oh, he's Suge Knight. Oh, this all makes so much more sense now. Who the fuck is Suge Knight? I don't know who that is. So so in the 90s, there was this rap label called Death Row Records, and it was run by a guy named Suge Knight. And he was functionally an actual, like, organized criminal. But, mm-hmm. but aren't uh, all music people in... organized criminals? No, no, like he, I think he's in jail now. Oh, oh, like, okay. Like, like threaten, like threaten to murder people if they did not sign contracts. Like oh. the shit Leon's actually literally pulled. Okay, off. so that's who you think? That's who he's kind of. Yeah, no, that I is mean, kind look, of look, Leon. I'm gonna be honest with you. Most music managers are awful humans. That, yeah, like the oh, good, yeah. the good ones is a real short fucking list. So there's a lot of <laughs> bad music management in Leon Sykes, anyways. But when you got to the end, it's like, oh, this just feels very Suge Knight right now. Okay, because yeah. I'm pretty sure Suge Knight did like. I don't think he actually killed anybody, but he definitely definitely severely threatened bodily harm against people. That's very well documented. But yeah, no, uh, Daniel Daniel Drum does a good job making Leon sound like intimidating. But also somebody who's got a lot of power and holds all the cards. He does a good job making him sound very powerful in that regard. Uh, AG. Uh, AG is also just kind of like a shithead rock kid who kind of just gets lucky and gets picked up by uh, a music like a music manager guy yeah. named Ron. Yeah. Which we're not... I don't think we're talking about Ron, but Ron is Troy Baker, and Ron is a fucking asshole. Yeah, he is, but going back to what Amon said, the list of genuinely good music record producers it sounds like a very short list, so it, it would be weird if he was a nice person. Yeah, but Ron's an extra piece yeah. of shit to Beck in particular because they crossed him, so now he's like, nobody wants to work with them because of it. So it's like... It's like... It's very much sort of like the... The fighting the system band up against the system, and the system is very uh, much backing AG, and AG is very uh, uh, milk toast. Well, it's not. I mean, AG himself is legitimately talented. From like you can. Say oh no, he, he's he's the, a fine musician. He's a sellout. But, like, like just be honest with it. He sold out for money. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, he's a total sellout he, for sure. Yeah. But he he's fine. Uh. Rikia is a fucking asshole, but he's kind of a cool asshole, especially once he gets his ass kicked by Chiba. Which, God, once he gets his ass kicked by Chiba, then it's like, okay, I like you now. Because, like, God, the show... He had just gotten his ass beat, like, a few episodes earlier. This kid could have maybe gone, like, a whole year of school without being bullied and extorted. Mm -hmm. Because I was legitimately thinking, did he never tell anybody in his band... And then once Chiba finally shows up, it's like, okay, so they know they just didn't get involved until now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you get the... 
This is the first time where it's like physical altercation. I, I guess so. It, this was just kind of like sort of like picking on him and sort of like bullying him. This is like, okay, you're trying to beat our dude. We're going to fuck you up. Which, God, Chiba, Chiba is just like the best kind of dude in that kind of scenario. But, God, I love Chiba so much. Uh, but no, he, I, he gets his ass beat and he's like, oh, d- man. Serial Mama was so good. <laughs> and then Ryusuke was like, oh, thanks, dude. So I actually, I want to ask the whole group, actually, that Jason Douglas's, like, turncoat from Cromarty bully asshole into, like, a devout fan in the final concert, like, was was that believable enough for you guys? Yes, actually. Yeah. I th- I, like, I think, it, I think it helps that, like, R- like Rookie is a bully, but he's not that cartoonish. Case in point, when he finds out that Ma- Masaru has been hassling people using what his Hyo- reputation. When Hyoto's been extorting him, he's like, are you fucking kidding me? How yeah, much exactly. money did you take from that fucking kid using my name? I'm gonna fuck you up! My good yeah, name. Like, he's... Like no, he's definitely a guy where like he like he is kind of a bully and an asshole, but like on his Kinda. terms. Like you you don't you don't yeah. get to use the threat of him for your own ends. That that's yeah. not for you. R- Rico just you don't speak oh, my name exudes, in vain. He just kind of exudes "don't fuck with me" energy, right? Like he's extremely short tempered, but he's not like seeking out fights. It's people messing right. with him, right? Like exactly. Like he takes offense to very small things, like bumping into him or whatever. Well, it, but it, it's the thing of like the only reason he smashes, um, uh. Kyo- the only reason he smashes, yeah, he smashes it because he thinks he's laughing at his bad guitar playing skills. Pretty much, like, that, that's, like that's he, what he's, he's upset about. Which is a very insecure, big bully thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But also, like it, fucking God, Hyodo is just such—he's actually talented and impressive. But he thinks he'll never measure up to his dad. But the fact that he keeps like extorting, like he would have probably actually been friends with like Koyuki if he wasn't such a fucking cunt. See, that's what worries me a little bit is that, like, Koyuki met with Ryusuke at just the right time, where he was impressionable and learned to love the guitar from him. Imagine the alternative world where Hyodo was, like, the one who influenced Koyuki, and then Koyuki became, like, one of his boot-licking underlings throughout the whole show. That would have been a sad, sad series. Oh, he would have had no individuality. Yeah. He would have he would have just become... And he would have become a nothing. Yeah, it, it's ironic that it's a good thing Koyuki met up with the, you know, the the bad boy American who sleeps with all the girls, rather than the guy who's got a rock star dad. I mean, because the guy who's just sort of a fuckboy half American who sleeps with all the girls is a genuine, is he's genuine to himself, uh, uh, which is something Kyoto at that time was never going to be. Okay, so then round table then. Everyone's thoughts on Robert McCollum as Hyodo. Uh, Jackson? He's a scumbag. He's a believable, excellent scumbag. Seconded. And I, I, love, I love when he gets his comeuppance and he's just sniveling in the dirt. <laughs> that is very well acted and very cathartic. It's very satisfying, but I also actually like after that episode when they're finally on, like, fair terms now and, like, actually kind of just laughing together. I'm like, okay... It's like you're finally on equal footing, and now you can actually 
be regular people. Yeah. This this pathetic kid finally got over himself, and now they can be honest. And, pretty much. And that was a good acting part on Robert's part because, uh, like, the Japanese voice for Hyodo is you know very archetypal, mean bully kind of voice. Robert never plays him up as like a cartoonishly evil villain. He plays him up as just kind of a messed up kid. You know, someone who's what was it? His mom has gone through two divorces. His dad's this big shadow over him that he can't reach up to. And I I do like that Robert plays him up as just kind of a messed up kid who thankfully gets better through the through the like, getting the shit beat out of him like if i was to describe it like rikia is more like a cartoon delinquent kind of character hyodo you know somebody like hyodo and that's why i think he's actually while it's fucked up the kind of shit that he did to koyuki i believe that this character exists no, I agree. Like, I think, I, like, I think, I think something that this show excels at, like I was talking earlier, is it feels very grounded. And I think, like, yeah, like, uh, I think Jason, I think, does a good version of playing, like, hey, what's the real life version of a Cromartie character? Uh, and I think Robert does a really good job of making Hyodo sound like, yeah, he's a shithead, but he's like, yeah, you could know this guy. It's maybe like... not like not that maybe not this maybe not this exact circumstance per se, but it's like yeah, a dude, he just kind of has like a lot of baggage and a chip on his shoulder. Like yeah, I've I've met that. And it's like probably once he got older, he actually probably like settled down and became like an actually okay guy. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Which is not what I can fucking say about this next fucking character, who I literally right. fucking despise that he's in the right, show. Okay. So yeah, so let's talk about Jamie's performance a little bit now. Obviously, Yoshido was intended to be a bad character. He was designed from his chiseled, blonde, pretty boy face to be a bad, bad guy. So the question is, does Jamie pull it off well enough? And the answer, Amon, is... Yes, no, I completely believe Jamie, Jamie plays an entitled little snot really well. He's fucking... He's... Okay, he's a rich little snotty little prep head... He's, he's, he's an actor and he's pretty, everybody wants him, but he wants specifically, like, Koyuki's girl, and he is, like, getting off at the idea of, like, cucking him so hard, and it's, it's, but by this point in the show, his, his introduction and his ability to try and tamper with their relationship feels too, like, we're too far in now at this point. They're far enough in where they should be fine, but this mm. comic level of like, ex like leaving him out and trying to get some to the point where he's doing the, a bet. It's like I, I know you're trying to raise the stakes, but it's like you're literally doing a bet of like, um, oh if if she comes to my show, uh, you never see her again or something. If she comes to your show, I'll never see her again. Bitch, she's her own fucking woman. She'll do whatever the fuck she wants. Don't you make that fucking decision for her. Fuck off. I mean, we'll talk about this with Maho, but you gotta admit that this show, and by extension the manga was based on, is a very ideal boys world kind of show. You know, it's like the kind where the girls are hot and they're not just submissive. They're also like very proactive in the story. Like they ask you to come to bowling, but you as the guys are still going to make bets about them because that's just the kind of hormonal assholes you guys are. Yeah, like... I guess, but it just feels like... Even then, I feel like... 
I almost feel like Maho was smart enough to know that this dude was actually, like, being oh, this I, much of a oh, dick I, to her absolutely. friend. Absolutely! I never considered yeah. him an actual romantic rival. Like, no way Maho would yeah. actually be attracted to this dickhead. The problem is Kayuki is an insecure teenager and doesn't think he's good enough. This is true, and yeah. this like, is like, fair. Maho was always gonna go to the Beck show, yeah. to the Mongolian Chop Squad show. Kayuki just doesn't think he's cut out for it. He's wrong, but he doesn't think that. Oh, okay. I don't know, like, I, I guess I was almost calling bullshit at times, where it's like, I, I know she's trying to be, like, friends and stuff, but it's almost like, there's, like, one or two times where it's like, did, did you really want these two hanging out together? It, okay, think back to your own high school experience, where you hadn't quite learned to differentiate between your toxic friends and your not-so-toxic friends. It takes sure, a little sure. while. Yeah, sure, sure, surely you had instances where you'd hang out with a buddy's buddy you didn't really like, but it was your buddy's buddy, so you had to. Oh, it, yeah. oh that, uh, that's, point I that's bringing back the memories, yeah. The the point I wanted to do, mm -hmm. make was uh, draw a comparison to Izumi, actually, where like Maho hanging around with this group of people is very much her becoming that type of person with those people, where they're, they're tight, but it's a world separate from Kayuki, and there's just this big expanding gap in separation. Mm -hmm. like, like, he's never a credible threat, but it's a frustrating plot device that keeps Maho and Koiki apart for a while. It's... That's what it is. Right, I do. It's such a, by that point, an unnecessary plot device that mm. it feels like... I, I'd almost rather it just be a little more of just trying to figure out his place in the world, place in the band, than just, okay, we need to... He can't be with Maho just yet. I guess, I mean, the, the thing I buy about it is the fact that whereas the music characters are, you know, getting really high up in their career, like they're advancing, Maho's not part of their group, and she's not pursuing a music career, even though she is a very good singer, but we see her in that final part of the show advancing in modeling and acting, and she does that through partially through her connections with her friends. You know, there's that one character who's an idol, which Koyuki would love to meet, and that oh yeah that's heartbreaking <laughs> which like that was such a like by that point i'm like okay you are just needlessly like fucking dickish to her that's why I like model like okay i got a signature for you bro it's 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 tight <laughs> yeah but um oh, the, the last thing i want to meant, uh, ask your opinion on for jamie was the fact did anyone pick up on him having kind of a two-faced voice like he has a very uh, in front of the camera, oh, nice person voice, and, and then he's got the Takoyuki behind everyone's back kind of voice. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's very clear, it's very present. I just despise the fact that this character in his show, and I feel he genuinely was unnecessary. Uh, I, one thing I did want to bring up, talking about bad singing earlier. Oh, <laughs> I, I, appre yeah. oh I appreciate his performance at, at um, Grateful Sound. Uh, one, because it's bad. And two, like, when I first heard it, it's like, this is, this is really awful. Why is this so bad? It took me, it's like, is he offbeat? Yeah. Is he behind the music? Yeah. Like, it's so, it's so that, that might be the worst, some of the worst music I've ever heard when he's, like, singing with <laughs> Bellam. And I was literally, very genuinely impressed by it because I think he might actually be offbeat on purpose. And if so, I could not think of a better way to just, like, hey, how can we make this sound wrong? Just, just, just he, absolute he's... amateur hour. He's not even a. He's not just a bad singer. He's also a bad actor. Like we see a bit of his <laughs> oh, his, uh, oh, his, his drama, his, and that's melodramic his as hell. Crappy little soap opera that he's so proud of. I yeah. got out of the wheelchair. I hate it. Good job, brother. 
And uh, yeah, the, the only last thing to know is, like I was saying, he's he's blonde, he's not Japanese looking, so obviously he could speak English in the original sub. Um, and there's a, a key point that's lo I really think is lost in the translation. Uh, at the Grateful Dead concert, uh, not the Grateful Dead, <laughs> sorry, Grateful Sound concert, there's a section uh, right the night before where Yoshido uh, tells Koyuki, hey, I'll tell you what the lyrics to the song are that uh, Crush wants you to sing. Uh, it makes a lot more sense in Japanese because it's obviously an English song that Koyuki doesn't know, uh, and then he just gives him the wrong lyrics. So, I guess it's just one of those things that's kind of lost in the translation, but I don't think anyone picked up on it when watching it in dub, so it does. it's not like it loses the effect very heavily. Yeah, it's just um, lyrics that he doesn't isn't yeah. familiar with, so it's it's a, it's an easy one-to-one. Yeah. -one. yeah. I had a point for Leon Sykes that he's... I, I actually really love his voice. Like uh, he, com he comes in on that plane uh, and says, what are you here for? And he says, bidness. He's just that a very cool voice very soft-spoken he never needs to raise his voice because he's always in full control and like you always feel that looming threat when he's speaking yeah like i i had not realized prior to doing this that like daniel drum had recorded so little because i recognize him from being in bacchano and i'm kind of sad he hasn't done more like he sounds great in like both of the things i've seen him in like I'm, I'm actually legitimately a little sad that i don't think he's like he hasn't done more or didn't do more when he was doing stuff <laughs> Yeah, it's a good thing we have this example to kind of highlight people who, like, not everyone went on to be uh, a simul dubber or a household name in the anime-speaking world. Some people just went on to do our things in life. Like, uh, some of these are people who we're going to talk about, uh, some of whom have also gone on to other things outside of voice acting. And that would be our instructor group. So we talked about the friends, we talked about the bad guys. Now we're going to get into the adults who, uh, all the adults who are basically significant to the characters here. And we'll go through this list relatively quickly, but there's one main person in particular that I think we got a lot to talk about. And that's the character of Kenichi Saito. Kenichi is a Olympic swimmer, a wannabe guitar player, paper person operator and hopelessly single a casualty of the british invasion casualty of a british invasion is a great <laughs> that's a great thing to put on your fucking dating profile <laughs> yeah, but uh he uh he gets lucky later in the show he uh he hooks up uh with the substitute music teacher of the characters and that is one momoko who is uh, not only a music newbie music teacher who's uh, very young, very close in age to the characters, but is also a part-time, uh, not a laundry model. It's like, like she worked at hostess. a... Hostess. Yes, she's a hostess. Lingerie model. How do you fucking confuse lingerie model? Hostess. Because there's a one scene where Koyuki imagines her in her underwear. I mean, that's that's just a pervy teenage thing. I know, it's just... But they didn't have to animate it. And Noah wasn't paying very close attention. Can you blame me? And suddenly he was. <laughs> suddenly he was paying attention. Got it. Okay. I, I did like yeah. that little visual part there. Um, now, uh, later in the show, the band members uh, get involved in a music concert, which is kind of like Woodstock, except nobody dies. And it is being run by... No, no, Altamont's the one where they die. Oh, okay. Are you sure nobody died at the original Woodstock? In fact, someone was born there. Oh! It was you, wasn't it? I'm not that old. Oh, okay. Uh, but who is that old, segue, is Kazuo Sato. 
who was the fe- who was a uh, sister was actually the one who organized the festival originally, and therefore Kazuo has very strong feelings about the integrity of the music festival. That's why she wants Dying Breed to play there, and she allows Beck to play there, and is really happy that they're playing real music because she is not a big fan of the bubblegum pop stuff that Bell Am is playing. Uh, one person who also really likes the sound of Beck is our final character, who is John Lee Davis. He is an old-school blues character. He is an uncle of Leon Sykes, and he's he's basically B.B. King. He, he is, I, I, I have to assume that he was modeled after B.B. King, and that is why he is so cool. Just I'm gonna dis- I'm going to disagree with you only because in terms of the kind of music he plays, I think he's probably more modeled on John Lee Hooker. Also, he appears to be named after John Lee Hooker. So that's, his name's that's John Lee that Davis. Happens. That's a good point. That's presumably he's a fusion of John Lee Hooker and the Reverend Gary Davis. But that's a guess. I mean, my uh, we know that there's a there's a guitar in the show that Ryusuke has that is named. Oh no, Lu- Lu- Lucille slash Prudence is definitely a reference to BB King. But I think visually, John Lee. John Lee Davis looks more like a lot of the more kind of like scrungy, less polished uh, blues musicians rather than B.B. King, who's very, you know, wears a nice suit and he's very classy. That, that's a good point. You're right. That's actually let's start at that point there, because um, John Lee Davis is voiced by uh, Lawrence Fernando, who unfortunately I uh, could not find any other voice work either in anime or Western cartoons that he's done before. Uh, but he has done quite a bit of TV work since uh, then. Like, uh, if you've seen Saturday Night Lights or the From Dusk Till Dawn TV series, you may have seen him in that. So, again, it's a good example of someone who we get to hear their rare voice acting performance in this. Someone who has done quite a bit of voice acting is Kazuo's voice actress, who is Pam Doherty. Um, Now, if you saw the Ping Pong episode, you remember that name because she plays Osaba. If you're a One Piece fan, you know her as Big Mama. But, obviously, she is best known as Sakei, uh, the... Uh, grandmother, head grandmother of the Jinuchi clan in the Mamoru Hosoda film Summer Wars. Love her in that performance. Yeah! Alright, uh, now Momoko is voiced by Gwendolyn Lau, who has done uh, some stuff in the older times, some stuff in the more modern times. Uh, she plays Ayano in Suzuka. She plays Yukino in Samurai 7. Uh, if you're looking for a slightly newer show for what she's done before, if you saw the show Drifters, she plays a character of Almino. I haven't seen Drifters yet, so uh, fill in the blanks on that. But the one that we're really here to talk about is the voice of Saito, who is R. Bruce Elliott, because who else could it be? And you, you've you definitely heard his voice before. Like, if you've seen Fairy Tale, uh, you've heard him as Markarov, but uh, he's probably best known for playing narrators in... Uh, really, uh, just about everything. He's a narrator in Space Dandy. He's a narrator in Sergeant Frog. He's a narrator in Burst Angel. He's just got a really great narrator voice. And, and in fact, let's go ahead and start on that. Let's talk about our Bruce Elliott's performance as Saito. Um, Jackson, why don't you take this away to start with? Oh man, you're just opening up with Sato. Like, there's gonna be no time to talk about anybody else. I, I just get, no. is he not the best character in the show or not? He's absolutely the best character in the show. That's not for debate. So, uh, no, he immediately makes a huge impression when he's uh, shouting from the pool, uh, and he very quickly uh, becomes a very different type of character when he's out of the pool. Like he very quickly switches, believably, into this kind doting type to Koyuki. Like he's a fantastic teacher and mentor type. I can see how someone would improve quickly under his tutelage. Like he's constantly 
dispensing pearls of wisdom that come across very uh, like believably. Uh, him, him and Kiyuki have a great rapport. Like it's very true to the way adults talk with teenagers. Like it's never condescending, but there's an air of like ah to be young with everything I mean, I'm he does. Not sure that's how all adults talk to teenagers. There's definitely some condescending ones out there. But but this is the idealized adults interacting with teenagers' life. The, the, this the adults the adults that's friends with yes, the kids. Yes, there you go. Right. This is like the cool guy adult. That, like, when you're kind of a young, dumb kid, you kind of want to chill with. Because he's got some wisdom, he's got some respectability to him, but he's also a little bit of a geek in some regards, and is willing to kind of, like, share some some fun facts, some advice, and just some general, like, Mm -hmm. wisdom. He's got some bad impressions where he's like, yeah, relax, man. And then immediately cut to him in the pool where he says, who told you you could relax? <laughs> it's just it's just great comedy. Like, like oh, he's, bu- he's the funniest. Our Bruce Elliott is by far the funniest non-swearing character in the show. Oh, he's so goddamn funny because he is just he is just a literal like swimming pool sergeant. And then also just a really like cool old dude, like jammer guy. <laughs> He, like, I'd also say he is a, like, slight perv, but, like, I, I was worried. I was worried it was going to be, like, he was going to start creeping on the kids. It was like, no, mm. he's just, he's just a fucking, like, he's just a bachelor who's just got a lot of magazines lying around. <laughs> he, he's lonely. That's he's, the word you're looking for, Andrew. He's giving a lot of business to the local hostess. You see, ladies, Pretty much. You see, gentlemen, before the internet existed, gentlemen could not get their fine art over the internet they had to acquire it through magazines and some men had a lot of magazines so this, this is why he has a paper company <laughs> he's, he's laundering yeah. it basically anyways like i so i don't know how to really say this i feel like so, some of this would sound like an insult but i really mean this in the most genuine sincere way Kenichi Saito reminds me so much of our good buddy Spaceman Hardy. Show of hands, who takes that as a compliment to Hardy and not an insult? You can't. What if it's a little column A and a little column B? <laughs> little column A, little column B. But I genuinely mean that is that he is just like a cool, like a cool, like slightly older dude to me. Because like, because when I when I met Hardy, I was basically just started college more or less and that's when i had started interacting with him and hardy's got a very similar like dad like kind of like dad like older fan vibe that i just started chilling with him and he's just he wasn't really a condescending guy to me he just chilled with me chatted with me and then we hit it off and it's literally because of him i became part of this so i'm forever grateful to the fact that because of his friendship so i genuinely do mean that in like the sincere way but I will say some of his, like, interesting quirks in Saito, I also see some of those in Hardy as well. So the thing I wanted to point on uh, for Sato just is um, he was actually skeevier sounding in Japanese than he is in English. Um, I am not surprised by that, honestly. I could I could see very easily how that y- would yeah, go it's Yeah, I like that. I like that change because you watch it in um, in Japanese. And Did he sound like the old fat bastard in a doujin? Yeah. <sighs> It's a higher pitched voice. It's not like the lower, 
uh, it's not the goose goose voice exactly. It's more of the. Uh, oh, I hate that! I know what I mean. Everyone it is a rare instance I get to break Andrew, but it's so fun when I get to. My, I'm glad I get to be here to witness. My, my point, okay, while he's dying, my point was is that uh, our, because our Bruce Elliott is so suave sounding in his not in the pool moments, um, it lends more of a respectability to Saito that you don't quite get in the Japanese because even his animation. Uh, especially when he's writing the foreskin song, is just kind of pervier overall. But yeah, our Brazil gives him more nuance, more respectability, and just makes him, like you were saying, Andrew, the kind of older, cooler adult dad energy that is kind of healthy to have around. In fact, uh, we'll talk about this, but Koyuki doesn't have any father figures, so it's it's nice to have uh, him around. You, you know, if I was to actually describe Saito, he's... He's the old Woodstock hippie guy that never became, like, a full-on, like, suit-and-tie boomer. He's still got a little bit of, like, the hippie Woodstock vibe still living in his heart and soul. And honestly, when I... I actually have met uh, R. Bruce Elliott, like, at a con before. I kind of feel like the man carries a very similar vibe to him, like, in real life, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Just super sweet dude. Yeah, so Amon, do you have any other inputs on R. Bruce Elliott's performance? It's nice hearing R. Bruce Elliott in something where he's not the narrator, because he has a great voice for being the narrator, but that means he tends to just be the narrator. That's true. Oh, he he. Oh, when he gets to be some great ones, he gets to be some real ones, dude. Yeah, no, he he he's a delight here. He's not my favorite character, but he's an absolute delight. Nice. If you ever commit to like four hundred plus episodes of One Piece, he's fucking white beard, and he is like the dad of dads. I mean, I've, I've, I've For, seen like, fortunately, like forty odd episodes of One Piece. I think I, I think I ran yeah. into him. What were you saying, Jackson? Yeah. For, fortunately, he's not in the show for too too long, so you can just kind of watch just his section and get all of the Arbuzelliet that you need. Oh yeah, no, it's a, it's he's he makes a strong impression for sure. Right. Hmm. But no, I I actually really do appreciate knowing that like Saito sounds like a genuine cool person in the dub compared to just like a pervy old man in the Japanese. I actually think that was a change that really improves his character yeah. for the better. Now, one person who doesn't sound too different from Japanese to English is uh, Momoko, uh, voiced by Gwendolyn here. Um, I'll just go out and say that um, it's she's definitely got the closest archetype to, uh, to the archetypal older anime girl voice, and I, I really wanted to mention her in this whole thing because her impact on the show is uh, basically getting not just Saito uh, involved in the band, but also uh, really pushing Koyuki from his hormonal teenage days to getting involved in things like the Culture Festival, which kind of pushes him to do more than he was already doing. So basically get him out of his like secluded, isolated, bullied shell and to actually be a little more present and enjoying his like middle school life which she actually does kind of succeed at that she does um it's uh it's, yeah so aman what's your uh, your takeaway from gwendolyn's performance she's really good at weeping <laughs> yeah i've 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 i mean i'm not kidding actually the one that sticks out is when like the the, the choir finally performs and they're just awful they're so bad um i don't know she, she she turns in a nice performance like i don't momoko's not 
too present outside of her initial couple of episodes but like yeah she she sounds nice she sounds she sounds very much kind of like I'm just entering the workforce and I have so many I have, you know I have so many like aspirations but I'm also very anxious about things um, and I think she she sells that across really well she's very sweet she's very pretty good on you Saito <laughs> but for god fucking sake dude keep that skin on you bro you're in your 40s. That shit is going to fuck you up for life if you do it now. Look, it's, it had to be done, okay? It's, it's just more more hygienic. No! It's, no, it didn't fucking have to be done. You I, have to put in a little extra work to clean it, but you ain't cutting it off at 40. It's a hard choice, Andrew, okay? Not all of us can be born Jewish, all right? I feel like we don't want to get into this discussion. Man. Uh, not, on my, not on my first episode. Please and <laughs> thank you. Say, oh, come on, right. Jackson. First episode, you might as well go start a fucking uh, race riot. Why the fuck not? I'm not telling you if I'm snipped or not. Uh, what? Like, I didn't have a great impression of Momoko, the character. Like, she kind of... She's introduced us, like, crying... Uh, I, I get that life's tough, uh, kids are mean, society's puritanical expect- expectations are hard, but I'm not re- she's not really earning any sympathy, sympathy from me. Like, she ropes in the uh, middle schoolers with like a, a leg cross move out of basic instinct. And like as soon as the choir thing fails, like she's a lot more standoffish and cold and uh, all business with yeah. these kids. It's like she tries to be friendly, and then it's like, oh, wait, kids are assholes. I have to be a teacher and kind of scold them. Well, you get. I like that Gwen does, like, change her voice a little bit there. Like, it's, it's very clear that she's, you know, toughening up the voice to match the, this is how you're supposed to act as a high school teacher. Now that trying to be nice. Yeah, she's laying down the law now. She, this, is how, this, is the, this is how you go into the battlefield. Right. And she only lets it down with, like, the kids that, like, she actually likes hanging out with, like, Koyuki and Saku. Also, like, as note of the middle school itself, like, it doesn't seem to be one of the better middle schools. Like, you know, there's tiers of Japanese middle schools and high schools based on, like, how prestigious they are or how... Oh, absolutely. No, this one's kind of, like, mid-lower tier. Yeah, this is... It kind of reminds me of uh, Anohana, where, uh, you know, the characters split up between, like, standard basic high school, and then there's, like, pristine elite high school. This is not the pristine elite middle school that anybody wanted to go to. I mean, granted, I don't think you necessarily have to, like, you don't put in for, like, I I think the way it works is that, is it, it, is your elementary and middle school decided for you, and then it's it's high school? Yeah, middle school and elementary school are kind of based on your geographic location. That's why high school is when you can move to one that you really want to go to. Yeah, it's it scans pretty cleanly onto college for right. Americans. Pretty, it very much so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyways, but no, I, I like Gwendolyn. Uh, I know she she's had a lot of like issues, and she, like there's a reason she hasn't been in stuff. But I, I always like getting to hear her in anime because I always think she's got a very cool, very very nice voice. Uh, I'm just going to be very quick with these next, uh, God, who, who even else are we talking about? We're talking uh, about Pam Doherty. We're, we're talking about, uh, okay. So, oh, we're talking about the, the lady who's got the, the, the she's got a, concert venue. She's got a smoking problem uh, too. Uh, Pam, Pam's got a very great, like old, like supportive old lady voice who's doing her best and she's trying to 
be there. Also, his big mom, by the way. The fact that you were saying big mama was annoying the shit out of me. Just want to get that out there. Um, you know, Noah read the scanlations. It's fine. But no, I, th- I think she's got a good voice. I think she's got some great, like, line deliveries talking to Ryusuke and, like, the members of Beck. And she does a very good job. And uh, Lawrence does a fantastic job sounding like an old blues jazz musician. And I love just him jamming with Ryusuke. It's very charming. It's very fun. And he's just a good dude. It's too bad his nephew's a fucking cunt. Yeah. it's uh, Lawrence gives us one of my uh, favorite kind of uh, translated bits also, where um, he actually speaks Japanese in uh, the... Oh, he speaks Japanese to Ryusuke as like a show of respect. I'm like, okay, that's actually pretty cute. Yeah, so, and, and they kept that in the dub too. It's like, uh, we... We can't translate that part because that that's significant, the being able to speak the other language to a Japanese person. Like, I, I appreciate that they kept that in he's there. Meeting, he's meeting down to his level instead of talking down to him like Leon. I, I also appreciate that he mangles the pronunciation pronunciation of doi tashi mashite. <laughs> oh, no, that, that that was actually a really good little detail. I, I like that a lot. I, actually, that, that brings up a good point. That This has nothing to do with him. Uh, it's... um. Okay, so Goldie, the uh, the muscle character with the golden teeth, uh, in the dub, uh, he pronounces the word Akihabara correctly. In like he just pronounces it just like that. But in the Japanese, if you listen to him, he's speaking English, and he says, uh, "How does he pronounce it?" There, he mispronounces Akihabara like Akihabara or something like that. I just find that interesting that the, the Japanese speakers intentionally mispronounce the word to make him sound like more of a foreign tourist. Whereas the more of a dumb foreign guy. Yeah. yeah whereas the English didn't do but that. Brian McInnes has a tweet about this just today, where he's uh, talking about the train announcer on the subway, where it's Akihabara at, for the Japanese people, and then for the English speakers, it's Akihabara. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. Just, so that, that that's one thing that they think you're <laughs> stupid. Well, they they really do think we're stupid. I, I Sometimes mean, it's have warranted. You, have you met the kind of Americans who go to Akihabara? Resident <laughs> Company excluded. God, <laughs> I will someday be that dumb American. You will I... be that weeb. Look, will make look, I, look, uh, look, look, look. I'm gonna. I want to go to Tokyo and stuff, but I'm not gonna go to just Tokyo. I want to also go to Nara too, because I want to feed the deer biscuits. <laughs> That's my dream too. Man. Like, look, seriously. I... There's all the weeb dumb otaku shit. I also want to pet a deer and I want to feed him biscuits. You want to be attacked by deer for not having enough biscuits. Yes. Yes, I do. Is that a Lucky Star yeah. reference? No, we've just known a lot of people that have made that pilgrimage uh. and have travel vlogged it. <laughs> but yes, it might have also been a Lucky Star reference, too. So, so Amon, do you uh, you have any other thoughts on uh, Pam and or uh, Lawrence for this uh, for this section? Uh, I love I love just how much, like, just steel Pam puts in her voice like Kazuokuli does not take shit from anybody, like, regardless of whether or not she actually is in charge of them. <laughs> Uh, which I just, I, I like, it's like, yeah, no, I can see how this, how she got to be where she is in life. She's, she clearly, like, she is, she is her own boss. Uh, and, um, Lawrence, he just sounds great. Just, mm, that's a good voice. He's, he's, <laughs> he sounds like what you would want an old grizzled bluesman to sound like. So, like, yeah. I'm yeah, very, I'm just very happy. Yeah. Uh, Kazu's awesome. Like, she reminds me a lot of the One Piece character Kureha, actually, where it's just this ancient woman that still kicks ass and will show you her belly button at all times. I can't believe you compared like, her to a different One Piece character. 
Of course I did. Anyways. But she's uh, showing her belly button. Isn't that a two-piece? Fuck off. <laughs> fuck off, Noah, she, just because she, you're the host of this. She's got the tight jeans and the... Uh, and the camo t-shirt is great. Like Oh, Ch- oh Chopper's the- old lady. Right. Okay, I remember her now. Yeah. I love the first scene with her, actually, where she finds the uh, Ryusuke's fishing hole. And she just freaks out seeing Kayuki and gets very overwhelmed. Like, And she's having trouble. She waits by uh, fishing and kills time that way and just gets very overwhelmed with this giant fish that she's got it on the line. Like, she walks on screen and you half expect her to start going into the always be closing speech. <laughs> And John Lee Davis is just blues incarnate. Like, this is, like, you walk off the page and it's just that character's fully formed. It's now, beautiful. The, to wrap this section up, the, the one thing I couldn't find out is, um, because we were talking about how a lot of the instrumentals were redone for this show, I couldn't find out if the guitar work uh, b- between uh, Ryusuke and John Lee Davis was, like, redone for this or if it was uh, the original they used in the Japanese. It sounds pretty similar, and I think that maybe one time where they didn't but i couldn't confirm that or not my 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 suspicion is they probably mostly recreated tracks they'd have to sing over partially because it would be easier to cut new lyrics and for that matter make sure the songs in a key the singer could sing in this Mm -hmm. i suspect it's more likely they probably just reused whatever music track the japanese had yeah it was it it was already there might as well but it, it, it was good stuff and these are good instructors these are good um adults to have around because uh the rest of the characters don't really have a lot of great adult figures in their lives so it's good we have at least one or two that aren't trying to kill them so that brings us to uh you're like okay we finally talked about all the other people let's talk about the band all right this is the show we came for we talked about the front let's get to the headliner shall we more specifically we're going to talk about the three backing band members i mean they're just as significant but we're going to talk about these three because they have slightly less to do in the grand scheme of things let's talk about chiba our lead vocal guy with the amazing afro. Let's talk about Tyra, the badass bass player who doesn't know how to keep a shirt on. And let's talk about Saku, the drummer who has an unfortunate medical condition where he can't open his eyes. Uh, I think that's called Brock's disease. Yes, yes, he is a descendant of the Brock line. I assume that he can cook very well and has many siblings as well. Chiba is uh, voiced by Justin Cook, and yes, you heard right, the guy who is more known for uh, producing at Funimation, is also voice actor in this, and I am so glad for it, I am, I'm going to talk about this guy a lot. Uh, we got Tyra is voiced by, I'm sorry, um, Justin has done stuff that you've definitely heard before, He was he's Kirishima right now in My Hero Academia, he is most known world over for voicing Yusuke in the original Yu Yu Hakusho, and just to tie it back around to another music show, he played the Grateful King in Show by Rock using almost identical uh, kind of voice as he does in this show. Tyra is voiced by the one and only Jerry Jewell. If you've been watching Dr. Stone recently, he voices Yoga. If you watch Ensemble Stars, he places Makoto. And another Show by Rock comparison, he plays the character of Ion. Gotta love those furries. Now, Saku is interesting because he's actually voiced by Johnny Young Bosch. And as for those of you who know that this is a Texas dub, you may be interested to learn that, yes, they got mostly California actor Johnny Young Bosch to be in this. Like, you've, you've heard him as Vash the Stampede. You've heard him as Artemis and Sailor Moon. You've heard him in the... Well, he's not been in Show by Rock? 
Oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, more recent thing. He played uh, Chakuro in uh, Children of the Whales. It's another thing I have to add to my two watch list. Noah, 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 let me help you for a second, because I feel like you you were, you were lost your combo. You had some music shows, or characters who played music in their shows, but you couldn't find something for Johnny. Let me help you there. Ca- in the show Space Dandy, he plays Johnny. Johnny, who is the leader of like a ev- like an oh. evil space federation, is also secretly a superstar musician who starts a band with Dandy that- and is also named Johnny. Was that the Saya Yamamoto episode? That's of course yes. it was. It- okay, fine. Well, there you go. Go watch Space Dandy two after this. I, I thought. There is some impressive thrusting in that episode. I, I thought he was just going to bring up that Johnny has his own band. I mean, he does, but yeah. I meant literally the character Johnny and his band in Space Dandy. Yeah, but, but, okay, Amon, I want you want to start out here. Uh, let's talk about Chiba for a little bit here. Let's talk about producer Justin Cook getting behind the microphone and absolutely crushing it with badass singing, rapping, and F-bombs galore. Every time I hear Justin Cook in something, I get a little mad that he doesn't act more. Same. Because he's every t- it's like it's like because it, I'm 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 good enough that I can recognize a voice that I recognize and not necessarily put like a name to it immediately. So I had to look up who played Chief and like of course it's Justin. Oh, who who else is gonna play an angry delinquent in an okay anime dubbed in Texas? Okay, I want you to know before I even like really started this show, before I even looked at your cast list, I watched this opening and I'm like okay. One of these characters is going to be Justin Cook, right? You you just think the be- the band back needs a singer, and the image that pops into your head is Chiba, and it's Justin Cook. Like there is no getting around that idea. It's just a perfectly formed thought that jumps into this world fully. Which formed. which because there's no real place to talk about it. A uh, hit in the USA is a fucking fantastic opening, and like every time I watch it. Chiba's little wiggle lives in my brain rent-free. Well, the, the best part is he starts doing the wiggle, and then, like, Maho sees that Kyoki is... Kyoki? Uh, Kyoki? Kyoko. Kyoyuki. Kyoyuki, thank you, has arrived and starts chasing around, and Chiba just goes right back to wiggling on the microphone. He goes right... He watches the show, and then he goes back to the wiggle. Like... Alright. Oh, okay, that was right. weird. Back to what I was by, doing. by the way, you, you know that he didn't so, get those snacks legally. You know he broke into a vending machine. No, he totally fucking slammed it. Yeah. Quick question for you, Noah, because you've seen the show and know it. Have you sung "Hit in the USA" at karaoke? Because I I haven't had a chance to do so. But it's 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 the kind of song where like uh, you can. It sounds like I could sing it in a slightly lower register because it's not like you have to get very high to sing it. There's not a whole lot of alterating. uh, uh, What's what I'm looking for? Octaves in that song. Yeah. Yeah. And when everyone else is singing Fighting Dreamers, you fit, you fit right in. Like, there's no bad. Well, I, th- I, th- I think you have the advantage that um, uh, it's not a terribly difficult song to sing. Case in point, I play. Well, first thing, when I was watching this, it's like my first thought was like, this song's a lot more warped tour than I remember. And and case in point, I, pay, I played it for my manager at work because that's very much the music he grew up on. It's like, yeah, this is just Blink 182. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know oh, why Charles yeah. Parker is singing in Japanese, but he is. Oh well, <laughs> yeah. Do guy. something for that summer. Anyway. Oh. Yeah, it's like, and it's like, yeah, that's very much like. This is very much like a two thousands pop punk song. Absolutely. Uh, like when you need a guy to scream, you get Justin Cook because he's born and raised in Foundation's House of Screams. 
was like, and this is probably like one of the only times I'm hearing Justin Cook play like a butt monkey, <laughs> for example. Like, like he he usually gets to play the punk or the rebel or like the chill dude, but he's just going off on these uh, very colorful rants. Like, uh, there's a there's a lot of great lines to choose from here, but I think my favorite is it's like a sea of training bras in here. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a diss. Like, God. Like, fucking... God, why did... No, why do you open these sections talking about the character to talk the most about with? Like, my because God. Because I want to Chiba is... Yeah. I want to talk about it, too, but you gotta build up to it, Christ, because then the rest just feels short. But no, Chiba is, like, the best boy in the entire show. He's a punk motherfucker, but I love the fact that, like, Maho talks about, like... That fact that he was used to be small and bullied a lot, and then he just kind of, like... He, he didn't want to see kids get, like, picked on, so he got, like, a lot of muscle and did karate and started fighting back. And it's like, that's awesome. I love that you told me that. Thank you. I already love I was a wimp ki- before Anchor Arms. Now I'm a jerk and everybody actually, loves me. Oh, that's God. The, that's the thing I like about Chiva is that Chiva is, like, you know, this this, you know you know, punk dude who clearly will throw down, but has also been repeatedly voted to be class president, apparently against his real will, but now that he's been made class president, he's going to do his job correctly, because that's what you do. Chiba is a punk with a heart of gold, and I, like, this show, like, I, remember I was talking about that bitch cum dumpster guy whose name I forgot already, and I'm like, the show is worse because he is in it. Beck Mongolian the, the, chops. The word shit is, the word shit is in the name, that's how you remember Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, Chiba being in the show makes Beck Mongolian Chop Squad infinitely better as a whole. Oh, amen. That's how good he is. That's how fucking good Justin Cook is. He is fucking killing it. And I adore, like, it's it's not my favorite song. I love his fucking, uh, I love the singing he does for Brainstorm. Like, just, like, I didn't quite get what they were going for with Typhoon 24, but, like, the energy... And, like, power verses that he's singing for Brainstorm. Just like, oh, that's just so fucking well, a- good. Well, Andrew, that's yeah. weird because the show tells you what you're going for for Typhoon 24. It's a Rage Against the Machine song. Like, I mean, like, okay, you're right. Like, yeah. I'm not even that big a Rage fan, but I heard it. It's like, oh, it's a Rage Against the Machine song. I get it. This makes sense. <laughs> Very well. Also fair. Back button. But, no, uh, Justin Cook as Chiba is great. I'm glad you mentioned Brainstorm, because I, I didn't get to mention what my favorite song was when, when we were bringing that up before, but that... I was going to say, you never did! Because I... Honestly, because I couldn't narrow it down. I, I was also having a hard time thinking, like, what one is it? Like, okay, and I like, okay, I love Moon on the Water. I, I love um, the Rocket Boy song, Follow Me. Like, that's a really fun one, too. But if I had to be honest here, when it comes to, like, adaptive lyrics and how well it was actually performed, I think Brainstorm really is my favorite. Like, that's the one where I wish I could learn the lyrics to that and sing that at karaoke. It's just so pumped up energy, you know? It's probably the one that gets repeated the most and you never get tired oh, of it. Oh yeah, no, it, it, it's great. Like, I got, like, there's like at least one song I was like, ah, I could, I could deal without that one. Moon on the Water I never get tired of. I, ne- I never get tired of Moon on the Water, but like, sli- slip out, like, once Koyuki became a full rock star, it's like, oh, slip out is like, oh, so it, it is a very good, it, it mm. That's real music right there. 
Um, and we couldn't have the real music, though, without Tyra, um, because and I know that we will have less to say about Jerry Jewell, because he is the most chill, the, the most uh, vanilla of this Neapolitan ice cream. But that's okay, because we need I, him for that. I wouldn't even say he's vanilla. I'd say, if anything, he's... He is the dude that is doing... Okay, no, he's he's the dude that is very much uh, smoking the blunt. Of, of the Beck squad. Of sure. the Beck squad, for sure. Yeah. But no, I, I, I think Jerry does a great job being this chill uh, rocker dude who who's very much... He's, he's probably like one of the most experienced of the group. Probably on par with Ryusuke, maybe even mm-hmm. slightly more. But no, he, he knows what he's doing and he... He goes from being like, oh, the serious musician who doesn't get why these kids are getting tossed into the mix of this to basically just becoming the big brother. Like, he, that's what, that's what I think he is. It's like, Chiba is like your act. Chiba is the fun big brother, but like, Tyra is like the one that actually gives like the most shit about everybody there, probably. And like, it's very satisfying when Ryusuke is going full-on self-destructive, trying to, like, basically pick on Chiba. And the fact that Tyra's the one that snaps at him and punches him, that's like, oh, that's how you know you fucked that up. That was satisfying. Mm. All because he it was very ha- satisfying. All because he didn't have a dream. He, he didn't have the rock star trash-picking-upper dreams. And then he, he eventually got that dream in Seattle. But no, uh, I think Jerry does a great job. And, uh... Johnny Young Blosh is delightful. He is a charming, good little boy. He's doing his best. I adore the fact that his rela- his relationship with Koyuki started on pure chance because Koyuki decided to be a rebel one day and go full, full Shawshank Redemption. They, they didn't even reference that in the, the original Japanese. They had to write in the words for that. In, oh, no, it's the other way around. I'm sorry. In the dub, they don't say the word Shawshank Redemption, but they do in the Japanese. Are you sure? I thought they said Shawshank I remember Redemption. It the, it's, yeah, it, I remember it the other way around. Mem- it memory's be, a terrible I, thing. My notes here are so microscopic. I'm having trouble picking out which episode that was. But, but yeah, it was... Mm. It is a very obvious Shawshank Redemption. I, I love the fact that his relationship starts with him, and, like... Koyuki's worried because he's getting bullied and ostracized like pretty badly in his class and he's like nah dude you got good taste and then they just become bros and he just becomes a like his actual like real friend buddy throughout the entirety of school that's why like like episode 25 when they are actually like the band is breaking up and falling apart and going their separate ways that's why I feel like in the snow when he's seeing Saku off, I was actually getting really emotional. Mm-hmm. I was like, that that's mm-hmm. that's the dude. That's that is your guy. Like even like even like throughout school and stuff, you always had like that one guy, like that one dude who was in your corner. So that one was just like a fuck, Dan. That one I felt yeah. that one, dude. I, I really I really liked his relationship with uh, Koyuki. I, I genuinely thought that was like a super sweet friendship and like that 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 made me really feel for like the end of twenty five. I was like fuck dude. Similar Like I, I got I realized they got really attached to these fucking I'm characters. Glad. I really like these characters and I think I like seeing these characters in these scenarios. I sometimes wish the plot treated them better. Well, that's what the manga is for. Is it? The, well, this ends at about volume 12, and there are 34 volumes, so... 
There's 34 fucking this volumes? This for 10 years, my dude. I didn't know this was 34 uh, volumes. Yeah, we're, 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 looking, we're looking at less than half. Did, did it ever get... Did that Holy get brought over shit. to America? I can explain that at the end, yes, but it's complicated. Okay, fair enough. Well, it's not, it's oh, not complicated, my... stupid, but I'll, I'll explain it. it it's, it's, yes, Japanese to American licensing. It's always going to be stupid. Uh, no, it's it's stupid for other reasons, uh, but anyways, let's, let's get You were saying, Amon, I, I want your thoughts on, um, you know, the our bass and drummer guy, because they specifically say that you need a good bassist and a good drummer to have a good band. That's true. If you're a shitty rhythm section, you're not going to go very far. Um... Jerry great. I find I find Jaro just funny because he is he's such a he's clearly like he's chill, he's laid back, he's clearly the guy in the band who remembers when loadout is, so you show up on time. <laughs> um, but visually he's clearly flea, which I just find funny because none of those are qualities I associate with flea, even though he is clearly a very competent musician and a put together guy. Flea is in a new cartoon uh, on uh, Netflix right now called Arlo the Alligator Boy. Aw, that's nice. I looked at Tyra and I'm just like that. That is my image of a J Rock. Uh, yeah, the hair, it's the shirtlessness, and I think I think Flea is actually well known for playing that particular like Stingray bass guitar. So that's where I'm coming from for that. Uh, okay. the the bass yeah. guitar as well. I, I also like to point out that uh, Tyra is one of the rare male characters with nipples <laughs> in anime. <laughs> this is important Jack information Jackson? that you need to Jack know. Jackson, how how many guys' nipples are you checking to make sure that they're actually there? Well, it's a lot of One Piece characters. That's oh, all right. See the reality. Uh, see the reality is this: we love anime, you... and we love like anime fan service and like the tits and ass and all of that. But the reality is, and... anime is also full of cowards. Yes, that is exactly what I was going to say. Anime is full of cowards that won't give us male nipples. The reality is this: like, if you're going to go this hard to show the fur, the firm asses, like the perky tits and the creamy thighs, you might as well show the rock-hard male nipples, too, bro. Kobayashi knows what the people want. God bless him for that. Oh. Anyways, Jerry's really good as playing Tyra. <laughs> Alright, we were talking about the stuff. Uh, he's, 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 I like Jerry Jewell. He's one of my favorite actors. He's good here. This is a good character for him to play. It's good casting. Um, and when, when, when Saku first joined up, because... Johnny Umbosh's voice I can like recognize without any real prompting at this mm, point. Yeah. I was reminded of <laughs> Yeah. Back when he did videos, Jacob Chapman was I don't know what he was talking about. He brought up um Johnny Umbosh being in Full Metal Alchemist as a point of reference. And basically oh, like, yeah. Hey, here's a here's a one off character and we need to just commit in a very short period of time that he is just a good, solid dude. And what do you do? Oh you hire Johnny Umbosh. Because Johnny Umbosh's voice it just radiates good solid dudeness. Um, and that, that feels comes through here. It's like, oh, I'm gonna like this guy, aren't I? And it's like he takes, he basically gets beat up for talking to Kyuki, uh, and his response is like, eh, whatever. You seem nice. You want to hang out? Also, I find it very funny that uh, he gets hired in the band basically because he pulls out a drum magazine while they're just lounging around. Oh, look at this. We needed a drummer. He he reads drum magazine. Let's hire him. <laughs> it's got it's got it's got not Lee Von Helm on the cover. You know, it's good stuff. I don't know who that is. He's the drummer and singer from the band. Which one? Uh, the one who does um, The Weight and Up on Cripple Creek. <laughs> I'm just picking on you. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, it helps that by that point, you've seen the opening like 15 times by now. You yeah. know he's going to be in the band. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not really yeah. a secret at that point, but yeah. You know. 
No, it, see, it, sometimes you gotta do that, those fake outs like that when you're least expecting it. Like they should throw Togo in well, there. It's when... like it's like when you're working your way through a band's discography and you know the good guitar player hasn't joined yet, and you get to the album they're on, and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, this is when things get really good. <laughs> it's a... uh, what's your favorite example of that? Uh, the one that's springing to mind is the first two Yes albums of a guitarist named Peter Banks, who's a perfectly good guitar player, but on the third one, Steve Howe joins. And album after that, Rick Wakeman becomes the new keyboard player. That's the point when Yes become Yes. With the Roger, <laughs> yes with becomes the, with the Roger yes. Dean logo where the tail of the Y goes through the E to become the S on the other end. I'm, I'm never going to have this other opportunity to really bring this up. I think I've told it to you before, or er, Avon. My dad has always told me the story about one of my favorite, one of his favorite things to do in college was to get high with his friends and listen to Yes songs to try and figure out, like, to try and even, like, pinpoint what is the actual deeper meaning of all the Yes songs. Like, to try and pinpoint this is what it's actually about. This is what they're trying to go for. This is the story they're trying to tell. Only to find out, like, after college in an interview years later, they were just like, oh, we never gave a shit about the lyrics. We just thought what, we just did what sounded good. Yeah, usually when they have a deeper point, it's like, war is bad. Like, that's what your okay. disgrace is about. War is bad. Okay, so we're like, we're talking like Mobile Suit Gundam level. Got it. The, the lyrics are very poetic. That does not mean the substance underneath it is necessarily that complicated. Sometimes it's just like, hey, I read the I read the Tibetan Book of the Dead lately, recently. That was fun. Jack, hmm. Jack Jackson, that. you gotta help me. They're, they're having much. a conversation. I don't know what they're talking about. Do you know what they're talking about? I have no idea what's going on anymore. <laughs> I'm gonna join you over here yeah. then. Okay, you two go off on yeah. your thing here. Me we, and we've got our, we've got our popcorn. No, let's 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 can I can I can feel myself flagging. Let's right. continue before I, I pass out. Like I was going to mention that uh, I thought Tyro was very affable and pragmatic. Like he he has his terms, he has his conditions for like joining the band, and he he knows like what he needs for this band and what he what he expects from it and all this stuff. Uh, like. The scene where he's introduced, they're talking about um, his bass playing is a lot better than the rest of the band around him, and I thought like, like even me with untrained ears was able to pick up on that. Listening to like it mixed in with the rest of it, it's like oh he's yeah, he's exactly. too like, good for this them. show. Does a good job job of portraying good and bad music against each other. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah, like his very. His coolest moment is when, uh, as part of the I've Got Feeling scene, where he's just like, he, he's warming up while he's letting Koyuki have his moment on stage to be a rock star for five minutes or however long that song has to go on for. <laughs> and then he joins, he he takes his shirt off, he throws the shirt, no one and wants no that one gross thing. It's great. That was such a disappointment. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> I I was I was like ready for somebody to catch it, and the fact that they showed it just fucking flopped. I was like actually laughing. I was like, "Oh, dude, you're you're not the cool look, one in the group." But look, you don't if care. you're not Flea, are, are there really any bands where the bass player is like the most well-known part of the band? Uh, dude, maybe... the bassists know how to finger, I bro. I know they do. <laughs> There, there are some, but they're usually ones where the bassist is also the singer, i.e. the Beatles, Motorhead, yeah. Kiss. Um, usually the ones where the bassist, the actual most famous one, are like prog rock bands. See, I wouldn't... Ca- like, there, there are definitely people whose well, favorite yeah. Yes member is Chris Squire. 
We'll see. It's like, look, dude. Say what you will. The base, the bassist knows what he's doing. You expect that you're gonna have a good time backstage with the fucking drummer? I don't think so. Uh, the, the, uh, the many, many women who slept with Keith Moon would beg to differ. Also, Charlie Watts is arguably the coolest person who's ever been in the Rolling Stones. Yeah, I'm, there are many people who will go to bat for that. I. Mm, I um, uh, now I need, like, a sex tier list of best, like, best no! drummer lays. That's a separate episode, okay? We'll, we'll do that for the Patreon later. That's not for this section right here, okay? Do you, okay? Jackson, do you have any thoughts on Johnny Young Bosch aside the fact that he's a good boy and he, you know, he, he's a I, I like drummer. the fact that he knows how immediately to when he shows up, he's just like, I appreciate the concern, but your friends are a bunch of assholes and I don't need you. That's, like, exactly what I picture Johnny Young Bosch as. Like, that's... Immediately, I get this character. I understand him perfectly. That's John Young Bosch. It is excellent. This is one of those instances where I'm thinking you didn't really need to get a John Young Bosch for this particular role because he he doesn't have a whole lot of lines, but it definitely it works. Like it definitely elevates the character from being just a kind of what you would assume is a background character because no one really thinks about the drummer all that often, aside from people who have slept with members of you know certain bands. But in this case, it really helped to have a Johnny Young Bosch kind of voice in there. And I have to assume that was partially thanks to uh, Taliesin being a, a California talent. And they could pull in some L.A. regulars over to Texas for this one very special show. So if we, uh, if we have covered all of our bases for the backing band, are we ready to finally, finally get around to the three main characters of the show? The show must go on. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. All right. And if you have gotten this far into the dub and you're, I'm sorry, if you've gotten this far into the show, the key word for the, to unlock the secret code word is, um, put Lucille in the comment section to know that you got this far. Anyways, we're going to talk about our three main characters, our lead singer, Koyuki. We're going to talk about our bad boy guitarist, Ryusuke, and our lead girl slash Ryusuke's little sister, Maho. Voicing these fine leads, Koyuki is voiced by none other than the legendary Greg Ayers, who has been in a lot of different dubs before. He's got a very distinct voice, so I guarantee you've heard him before. If you've seen Clanat, Clanad, he plays Sunahara. If you've heard the legendary Ghost Stories dub, he plays the character of Leo. Um, and to tie this around into another musical show, if you've seen Narima Daikon Brothers, which you can't right now because Aniplex are a bunch of bitches, he plays the character of Hideki in that show. Now, Ryusuke is voiced by Eric Vale, who I know all of you have heard before. Every one of you out there who's listening to this has heard him as Yuki in Fruits Basket, even though this character is not at all like Yuki. Or if you're even more basic and you've seen DBZ, he plays the character of Trunks. Or if you're more of a musical-type person and you saw The Rolling Girls, he plays the character of Tomomori in that show. And to round it out, Maho is voiced by the wonderful Brina Palencia. Brina voices Holo in Spice and Wolf. She is currently playing the pervy character Minoru in My Hero Academia. But if you're for something that's a little more on the musical side and you like your idols, then you might like Zombieland Saga, where you can hear Brina as Sakura in that show. So... Let's, uh, let's cut loose here. Let's talk about, uh, let's see, Andrew's complaining about starting at the top and working our way down. Um, shall we talk about uh, Ryusuke first, then? Holy shit. He does a great job giving him, like, this aura of just cool guy. Just pure cool guy doing his best. 
like really wants to be a musician really wants to make it big he's a dreamer relatively laid back relatively supportive until you break his guitar until you break his guitar which i love the kind of like quiet i i love the quiet like explaining things what happened you don't actually hear what happened and then you just see him throw the newspaper and you just say get the fuck out of here i'm like oh i love the audio on that because it's not only is it a great uh f-bomb but it's also it's lowered in volume a little bit because we're hearing it like through the walls that's like really good mixing mm. yeah it's real mm-hmm. it's real impressive it's real significant so. that that's like the first time he ever snaps or like raises his voice above his cool guy level uh i guess the question then is um since eric has uh kind of gotten a reputation for being like um cool chill or i guess like more uh pl- i don't think playboy is the right word for it just like attractive anime voices mm-hmm. uh it's it's very interesting that he is playing this uh very yeah he's like slacker kind of character instead but it definitely fits with this show because all the characters are supposed to be in the real world setting so he's not supposed to have like an anime sounding voice to him mm. um i'm just kind of sad that we don't get to hear him swear more often <laughs> he's great um yeah just i don't know he does just a good job of playing like I don't know how to... I guess uh, Grusuke feels like he's kind of like the head of the band, but in kind of the way that's partially because he's kind of an asshole and tends to drive out anybody who doesn't want to put up with him. Um, and I think he he plays that really well, I think. Um, especially in the end where he's like clearly just under like way too much stress and he's starting to be like actively self-destructive because he doesn't know what to do with himself. Like I think in those, in those episodes mm-hmm. in particular, I think he shines really well. The further Ryusuke's just digging that yeah. hole and yeah. uh, repelling everyone away from him. Mm-hmm. He he never shuts up. Basically, like he's always picking a fight. Like, the gun is to his head, and he's still like, "You you guys suck." It's totally fitting with his entire arc in the show because we we find out early on that his he's got a rich daddy, and yet he I assume chooses not to live in the big house. That he instead is more comfortable living with grandma at the swimming hole and the swimming hole on a bed of lice. So it's perfectly fitting that he would be uh, that self destructive. Uh, near the end of the show, too. God, I think everyone's uh, real points here talking about is going to be... Let's talk about Brina Palencia for a bit here, because, wow, can that girl sing. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, she has such a pretty voice. Like, she is, like, objectively, like, just... She's so fucking cool. She's so great. Oh, she she's gonna kick your ass, but I, I love how she's just kind of... She She's just fucking cool. She's cool, dude. She ain't taking no shit. She ain't taking no names. She knows what she wants. She knows what she wants to do. She knows what she's gonna do. She's gonna do it. And, yeah, no, I think Brina does a good job selling her, like, badass, like, tough girl act. While also making her a lot more, like, sincere, genuine, and sensitive. Especially when she's getting to be with Koyuki and just, you know, the the moon on the water, like, the skinny-dipping moon on the water, like, duet is, like, one of the gorgeous parts of the show. That's a high school experience that I re- lament to never got to be a part of. Uh, what? Uh, you're, mi- you're missing out. I, I, yes, you're right, I am. Skinny-dipping duet with a cute girl is not a thing I think most people have ever had. The duet that, part's new. Probably more so after the show. Like, I, I'd love to see, like... <laughs> All right, so show of hands. How many of you have tried to recreate the scene where you skinny dip in the pool and duet sing uh, after hours? 
All right, see, yep, 20. See, see, here's what's going to happen. You're either going to get caught, you're going to get out of the pool immediately because you're all chicken shit, or you're going to fuck. See, I'm fortunate that I live next to a body of water. Like, there's just a giant lake outside my house. You're also in Canada. You're used to the cold. Well, that's not the point. Well, uh, yeah, the you, point is not that I did polar bear dipping, right? No. Oh, I, trust me, I, I, I veered away from doing that because I live in a place that also gets very cold. And they, they've done that for charity a lot, the the polar dive thing. I'm like, don't do that. You could possibly die. Find other ways to raise money. It's a great way to wake up in the morning. It is. Um, Wait, how did you describe uh, Maho uh, to us in the group chat as the OG best girl? Um, oh, yeah. Well, I all I did was I, I uh, gift searched uh, the scene where she's uh, she's in the swimsuit. Uh, cheering on Koyuki right before his big race. Uh, and I'm like, oh, and uh, for all those who are uh, on the fence about being on this episode, this is the main girl. <laughs> and that's when Andrew said, I'd like to do this. She hits, like, all of my strike zones of, like, this streetwear, tough-ass chick. Uh, like, it's actually really interesting that, like, Brian's playing her very low and kind of, like, not much mouse, but this is a much earlier uh, Brina Pronuncia role where she's slurring her words a little bit more it's a lot more close and intimate to the microphone like the first time or not even the first moon on the wire performance but like the first time we hear any of that song is like kind of this delicate and weak uh singing that she's doing you're Uh, right all of her moon on the water singing is really good i really love the the part where koyuki has it's one year later and koyuki snuck in with um izumi and, you know, Maho's watching them, and she's got this very, like, heartbroken rendition of it behind the fence. That was just, like, th- that's where I got teared up. Absolutely. And she she wants to be seen. She wants to know that, she wants them to know that she caught them. Because she, like, lights off the flare and starts that song. Maho's actually, like, really smitten with Koyuki throughout the show. Like, she's, he's almost kind of her hero a little bit. Like, She's really impressed with his uh, singing right out of the gate, and she's always going for bat for him throughout the show. Like, uh, she makes a show in front of Yoshito that she's uh, hanging up on him and not going to his party that night or whatever. He's always going to bat for her, and she's always going to bat for him, right? Like, she's a lot more embarrassed and bashful around him than she puts on, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. Which, by the way, like, the jokes aside... Ryusuke is at least the cool dude. That the fact that he's like, okay, you and my sister seem to be hitting it off well. Oh no! Here's a condom. <laughs> who who does that? Who, who, I, I know there's a like responsible panic, but... person who wants to make sure that these people that he likes and cares about don't fucking have a fucking million-dollar investment child because somebody didn't wrap it. Yeah, but if you know Koyuki, like, you look at Koyuki, you know, look at that face. Do you really think he's gonna try anything? He doesn't, he doesn't know Koyuki, he knows himself, and he knows he would probably tap that. Koyuki's a rock star. Okay, that's a good point. That's, I mean... It's not like Koyuki hasn't thought about it. Like, look, we look. Koyuki has walked in on him having like one night stands, and it's just like, hey, how can't we just snuggle? It's like, sorry, you gotta leave now. Fine. Risuke's not. I was faking it, and that number isn't real. Bye. 
Uh, okay, she whatever. never said that she was faking it. She just said the number wasn't real. She meant she was. She's. She was probably saying that she faked it, even though she wasn't. Probably. That's how it works with Ryusuke. Uh, Aman, do you have any thoughts on Brina Palencia's Maho? No, but uh, Brina like Brina gives a really good, solid performance. Like her, her and Ki um, Kyuki are like so much of the emotional center of the show is about them. Um, you know, this is the kind of performance where, like, if something's not, if, if something is not up to par here, like, it's gonna affect the show really badly. And I think Brina, like, more, more than makes up for that. Like, she's great, she's delightful, um, you know, she, she, when the song she sings sound great, yeah, no, it's just, it's good. Like, it's one for the ages. This, 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 I think this might be now one of my favorite performances by her I've ever heard, actually. So, yeah, Brina is great, Maho is great. I really like her relationship with Koyuki. I wish the show was a little less dumb with the will-they-won't-they they of their relationship. I feel like for a relatively, like, slice-of-life, interesting, engaging character show, I feel they're the sort of comical way that they weren't together already felt almost to anime for this anime if that makes sense yeah but it's we we've we've been spoiled by uh shows where the main couple gets together early and stays together i, I won't and I, we weren't getting those kind of shows back in 2006 definitely so like I, it's it's definitely it has we i recognize i've spoiled for that but even in a show like this sometimes i'm okay with the will they won't they but this felt almost unnecessary Fair enough. But Anyways, that's you know what I'm going to say on that. Brina is you great. Know what? Yeah, you know who isn't unnecessary, though? Koyuki! And Greg Aries! Oh, God, we were not in sync there. Fuck, I'm tired. Let's just let's just say this up here now. Uh, is, does anybody here not like Greg Aries as Koyuki? Oh, he's fucking perfect. No, yeah, he's, Our, he's the only person who could have played this, as far as I can He's fucking say. perfect. He's amazing. I knew Greg Aries could sing. I didn't know he could sing this good, though. God damn, can he sing good? Yeah, like I, he can rock. I, I, I said this might be my my new favorite Brina Palencia performance. This is my new favorite Greg Ayers performance. Oh, this, this, is, is, this is my favorite thing he's been in. This well, is a career highlight. This? Fuck. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if I pick anything in particular. That's part of the reason why. Partially because like I feel like Greg Greg plays a lot of side characters in things I watch where he's good, but he's not in the focus. Here he gets to be in the focus, and he absolutely nails it the whole way through. Yeah. And as a bit of background information for anyone listening, um, the reason that Greg got cast in this is not just because he's amazing, but uh, the producers were listening to his audition tape for Cirque de Soleil, where he was singing in that, and they're like, that voice needs to be voicing Koyuki. So we can thank that show for this performance. He also had a history with Kobayashi and this uh, production especially, because he's met Kobayashi at conventions and was talking to him about this show before... The Funimation even picked it up. You're kidding. That, yeah, that's uh, in an interview on uh, AMA News Network that I uh, turned up oh. while researching this. Yeah, because um, uh, the original Japanese differentiated between the speaking seiyus and the English, or, I'm sorry, the singing voices, um, I not only appreciate Greg's performance in this, but also more so that he could do both the singing and the speaking portions of it. And it really helps that Koyuki is supposed to be like uh, an unassuming, innocent high schooler, but he's supposed to get 
more confident over time. And Greg plays both parts of those. He plays the the unassuming parts, and he plays the confident. I've actually found some errors in this uh, music book here. You really shouldn't rely on those. You should really learn to play the chords first. Like that is really hard to do. I feel playing both the both sides of a character as they develop throughout a show. I like that Koyuki is never like a wimp. Like he he's always standing up to bullies like even twice in the first episode oh yeah that that was not an impression i had from my memory but that was a really nice uh thing to see with koyuki like he deals with those bully characters uh throughout the show but that's because it's a him problem it's not uh not someone else that's in trouble that he could be going to help right Andrew, did you have any uh, key thoughts on the takeaways from greg aside from the fact that he should have hooked up with maho even sooner in the show I mean that's just a given, but Koyuki is just a Koyuki is just a good protagonist, and it's very much watching a kid build up from nothing, becoming a fucking cool guy. Like straight up, this kid had the soul of a rock star, just waiting to come out. He put in the time, he put in the effort, he got good, he made friends, he lived the life. And then he toured, and he got to really make it big and have his moment in the sun. And just... So, I'll be honest. I I wasn't sure what the direction of the show was going to do. I love the finale of the show. I love it. It are you is... talking about the? I'm sorry. You're talking about the music concert or the like the last episode of the show? I, I'm not talking about the the music concert. That is the that is the climax. I'm talking about the last episode. The climax is also fucking fantastic. That concert's amazing, and they fucking kill it. But I feel like the last the I feel like America is like the smartest way to do a budget finale. It shows so much. Without having to really do that much. It's Koyuki and Maho basically going through all of the pictures he took while on tour in America. And they're just like quick little sketchy images. But they convey so much of their experience. So much of their tale. And the fact that like it's a saga. It's an experience. They're just learn- living in America, all the people they meet. This feels like a real recounting the tour thing. And then, like, Ryusuke finally comes back. And then they're just playing a show. And the show is outside of just some club, just some actual picture in America. And, Noah, what is the final line of the show? The final line of the show is them recounting the first time they met. It is the is the actual audio from the first episode, and it it leaves on Ryusuke saying to to Koyuki, Beck says thanks for saving him, which in the original episode was a reference to the dog, of course, but it has so much more meaning in this final it's episode. It's so fucking it's good. All about he saved the band. He brought it all back together, and ah, oh, yeah, I I love that part right there. Like, oh, I felt that. That was such a good note to end on, and I feel that's a great finale. Like, actually a really satisfying finale, too. And Koyuki's just a great character. Greg fills him with so much life, enthusiasm, energy, but also coming of age, like, kid growing into his own, and just... 
Oh, he's such a good singer. Fuck. No, this this is definitely one like one of my new, if not my new favorite, Greg Ayers role. This is stupendous. I'm so glad we got you to watch this. I, I was just gonna echo the sentiment that that last like slideshow scene is like some of my favorite acting mm-hmm. in the show. Like it it feels like the two actors as their characters just commenting on the show. Like if you switched over to the commentary track, it would have the same tone and atmosphere. It's excellent, and, and it's just a very efficient way of saying we're not getting more episodes. Here's like the next couple volumes of the manga just abridged for you guys to enjoy yeah it's if like you were saying Amon, this uh capped at what would be episode or i'm sorry volume 12 of the manga so this would be like almost the halfway point of the show of the story itself i feel like it's a that was a good stopping point for Mm. the anime i agree yeah so that brings us to we, we have gone through the whole show we have this is the end set let's just really quickly tell everyone our final thoughts on the show starting of course with jackson this show is excellent. Uh, it makes me cry every time. Like, going through those last couple episodes, every time Mumon the Water hit for that ED, I was tearing up. Uh, yeah, this show is really special to me. I'm not going to forget it anytime soon. Fantastic. Uh, I'm on Duel. Uh, part of the reason I was always very lazy about watching Beck is I kind of always knew I was probably going to love it. And I did. This is amazing. You're kidding. I am in shock. Shocked, I say. This is the best show I've seen all year. <laughs> I have I, actually. I was going to ask, um, of the music anime that you've seen before, mm-hmm. is is this like in the top echelon now? I mean, pro- I, mean I feel like I haven't seen that many music anime, to be honest with you. Um, okay. And weird, partially because like the kind of music I like doesn't get reflected in anime that often. Like part of the reason I like this and Fully Cooly is because like oh it's anime that cares about the music I care about. You know like ah. Show by Rock sounds very fun, but like that is not music I listen to in my spare time. No, you are a dying breed indeed because yeah, obviously I, this I would, music I would, is not if, pop. If I were their age at that time, I would absolutely be a dying breed. Like that's the kind of music that me, that matters to me. I, I'm sure it was intimidating at first, so I'm glad that <laughs> turned out to be a good experience. Andrew, did you like the show? This is definitely a different show that I would normally watch sometimes, but I appreciate the fact that I finally got the chance to watch this one. This is really... There really is nothing quite like it in some regards. I think there are some elements that have aged a little, but there are so many more things about it that hold up exceptionally well in ways I did not expect. The dub is fan-fucking-tastic. You can tell they gave their heart and soul to this, and it shows in the final product. This is a really unique show that really does just feel like an actual, true-to-the-term slice of life, while also still having stupid romantic subplots, longer-than-needed bullying arcs, and goddamn, like, criminal fucking enterprises stealing it's a little silly in some regards it's still a little anime but this still this was a pretty great watch and this one's got a lot of heart and soul from everybody giving their all and of course to the to the actors to the directors to the musicians and of course, to the late, great 
uh, Osamu Kobayashi. And that, yeah, absolutely, we would not be we would not be watching this show without him, and we wouldn't be covering this if not for his uh, too soon death. So I'm I'm really glad that we did get a chance to cover this. And I, uh, there are times where watching a dub that was done, uh, you can almost feel it being kind of phoned in a little bit, uh, just because it's not a very challenging material to do. I mean, all dubs are are difficult in some capacity, but this in particular felt like something that had way more challenges, way more work that needed to be put into it, and could have been done very poorly. But the fact that they converted very good music into really good English tracks, um, like Andrew, like, like Amon was saying, it feels like the music that I really cared about, and turned it around a story that uh, a lot of people can relate to in that coming-of-age time period. Because like like Jackson, I watched this in college when I was at that kind of not-quite-sure-what-I-want-to-do-with-my-life stage, uh, and, but enjoyed seeing that there are other people who are in a very similar situation. But you have to do stuff to make it happen. It's not like regular anime where uh, like main characters just have stuff happen around them. This show would not have happened if Koyuki had not actually put in an effort to improve the guitar, made friends, stuck to his guns, and become the badass character that he did. So that is why this is a show that is really great. And rewatching again made me realize that I, I'd have to put it in my favorites probably. I've never really ranked my favorites before, but I think if I had to, I'd definitely be putting the show up there. And that is our full coverage of Beck Mongolian Chop Squad. Woohoo! Hey! Oh, we did I it. know everybody's shouting for an encore, but we've been here for three goddamn hours. We had a lot to say, and yes, we'll wrap this up. Don't worry, people. Our fingers are bleeding. Our fingers are bleeding. You still have fingers? Damn. I mean, I don't know. You, you, you could still get along pretty well if you have eight fingers, if you know what you're doing. That's true. So if you have eight fingers and you want to watch this show, uh, you can watch Beck Mongolian Chop Squad. It's currently streaming on Funimation's website. Both the sub and the dub is available there. Um, you can also buy on-home video release. Uh, interestingly enough, they actually had to uh, re-release the show without the word Beck on the cover art because uh, apparently that was leading to bad search results for people who wanted to find the actual artist Beck. Um, really? That makes, yeah, that that actually makes a lot more sense than it being some sort of trademark copyright thing. Of course, it's search engine optimization. It always fucking is. Okay, that's <laughs> fascinating, and that kind of makes that actually kind of makes it even more meta with the fact that they got localized to being Mongolian Chop Squad in the West. Yeah, yeah. The the, the... it's just a much better band name than Beck. Mm. I mean, we, we debated about what what does Mongolian Chop Squad even mean? They're not even from Mongolia. Well, it's a better, it's a stronger word than Japanese. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't find a wrestler named Japanese Joe. It's Samoa Joe. Well, of course, right? <laughs> I'd watch the hell out of a guy named Japanese Joe. What are you talking about? Not in New Japan. No, no, you're probably right. Um, but no, no, no. I, I need to wrap this up here. The okay, so the show is available there. Um, Aman, you said that the manga is was in the, the available ma- the manga was originally released in english by tokyo pop and they got through about 12 never mind okay. to- no, oh. wait, i'm not done they- no let more. it finish 
that they not Tokyo Pop got through about twelve lines before they imploded. But Beck is a Kadansha title, and while they have not reprinted it physically, they have released all thirty-four volumes in ebook. You can get them on Comicsology, and since Kadansha periodically does like humble bundles, like I think they've shown up in some of those in the past as well. So you can you can read the whole thing at this point. Excellent. All right, so keep an eye out for that. If uh, if you got to the halfway point of the story, which is the full part of the end of the anime, and wanted to find out, did they make it big in America? Read on and find out. And if you would like to know more about us, we are the Dub Talk Podcast. You fo- can follow us here on YouTube. You can follow us on every one of those audio-only formats that we have posted our episodes on. And uh, we Spotify, also- Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and the works. We wanted to give a huge shout-out to the wonderful people who make these special episodes possible, and that would be our Patreons. Yes, we have a Patreon account, which you can find in the link below. And we'd like to give a big shout-out to our $5 patrons, specifically Victor Mayboroda, Sue Tweet, Nico Robin, but with Yowie Hands. Jackson, I hear that's a friend of yours. Never heard of him. <laughs> I like the name. Never heard of him. You're awesome, man. Uh, a Miraculous Corazon, thank you. Michelle Travis, thank you. And, of course, Megan's mom and dad. Couldn't do this without you. We also could not do this without our $10 patrons. Big shout out to Carly Lestikow, Crimson Echidna, Jacob Wilson, J2, aka Jared, Julia W, Lenti, and Otaku Anthony. Every one of you are amazing, and if you made it this far, I just want to say you guys are even more awesome. So, uh, to wrap this all up, Andrew, are you doing anything in the world outside of Dub Talk? Yes, sir. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me over at MangaMan9000. I also go by the name Classy Spartan. As for my other gigs, uh, you can check me out as a podcaster on Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA, where we talk about the latest and greatest in anime breaking news alongside fellow dub talk podcast cohort uh jet very good i'm on duel do you uh you do anything these days uh, you can find me on twitter at at i'm on duel us uh duel is to using it i talk a lot about movies and comic books and music and i have a dusty old song which i'm very looking forward to because i'm probably never gonna have another chance to talk about this band on this show uh, if you watch the ending for... So I was talking about... There's a thing in the ending that made me think I was going to like this show anyways. If you watch the ending, you'll see references to many uh, bands, both recognizable and not. And one of the ones that might stand out to you is a extremely well-dressed gentleman who has an eyeball for a head. Go on. That is a member of The Residence, an anonymous collective based in San Francisco who claim to be from northern Louisiana. They've been around since the late 60s. They make deeply uncompromising music that only they are interested in listening to. They are true American treasures. I have seen them in concert. They are great. Uh, And I'm going to recommend a song to you by them because they are going to make you never trust a single word I ever say ever again once you listen to them. So with that note, go check out their song Constantinople, which is about as accessible as they get. Uh, and if wasn't, you enjoy... that a, uh-huh. wasn't that a They Might Be Giant song? No, no, that's, that's Istanbul, not Constantinople. This is a different song. Uh, ah, if, you, gotcha. if you do enjoy that, you can listen to the rest of Duck Stab, which is the album it's on, which is also very good if you're into that kind of music. I, duck Stab. Duck Stab, yes. And the cover is a man who appears to be about to stab a duck. This is true. The they don't make hear... they don't make music for normal people, Noah. <laughs> they no, make no, music I, for I, weirdos like me. I, 
I mean, th th there are probably more of you out there than you realize. You know, you, you guys just haven't convened yet in one location. Not since I saw them in concert. There was maybe like 300 people there. <laughs> and that was probably all of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jackson, what can, what, where can we find you on the World Wide Web? Yeah, I'm Jackson. I am Dub Talks Collective Hallucination. Do not perceive me. I do not exist. If you go to the uh, Twitter uh, account Nine Claw Tiger, you will just find a horde of retweets that will lead you down a VTuber hellhole. I wouldn't recommend it. I, I don't get the VTuber like phenomenon right now. It's like like I, I get that like kind of the appeal of the aesthetic. I just don't understand why it became so popular. It's Twitch streamers plus cute anime girls. It's uh, no, pretty I... simple format. Yeah. One 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 of the main ones I follow is a uh, Japanese rapper slash musician uh, named Mori Kalaipi, and I've found a lot of great music through her, which is the closest I'm getting to having musical taste. I, cool. I can get behind that. I can't, who can't get behind, uh, you know, rapper Japanese, and a VTuber who raps, is that right? Correct. Yeah, I can get behind that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at NoahClue, where I post pictures of my kids, who, as of this week, are almost uh, their birthdays, actually. So, uh, happy birthday, Oliver, Ruby, and Leo. And I also talk about animation of all around the world, including America, Japan, the Soviet Union, Ireland, and even countries that you've never even heard of before. I don't think we have anything left to say like this, so let's wrap it up, ladies and gentlemen, and go to that rap party after this. Rock on Chicago, rock on Boston. I was made to hit in America. In the USA. Ugh, you ruined it. Fuck it, fuck it, I can't do this anymore! Fuck it, I can't be part of this band anymore. Fuck it, I'm done, I'm done! No, no, no! Everyone's a diva. Come back! Everyone's a diva. Alright, I'm gonna go placate the diva over Call here. my agent! Aloha and otaku on my friends. <laughs>